Tonight's episode of the BS Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by The Zone. Stream over 100 fight nights a year without the pain of pay-per-view. Getting set up is easy. Download the DAZN app, available on nearly any of your devices, including smart TVs, tablets, phones, and gaming consoles. Listen to this email I got from Philip Rose. He's in Canada. He's in Vancouver. He wanted to give a shout out to Canada DAZN. Apparently, they own Sunday Ticket in Canada. And he's like raving about it. What a great deal it was. He loves DAZN, all that stuff. So there you go. If you're in Canada, get NFL Sunday Ticket through DAZN. Uh, so thanks to them. Hey, SeatGeek, the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game or sporting event, which includes a lot of good sports this summer, but also a lot of concerts. A lot of concerts. Kyle, you going to a concert this summer? Going to some Dodgers games. No concerts. Dodger games. No so concerts SeatGeek is great for Dodgers games. Download the SeatGeek app or go right to SeatGeek.com. Use promo code BS. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com, the world's greatest website where uh, between Game of Thrones and John Wick 3 and the NBA playoffs and the Zion Lottery and all the other stuff going on, uh, we're in our glory right now. Thank you for all the content, everybody out there. Thank you. Keep, keep giving us stuff to write about and talk about. Check out our podcast network as well. Don't forget about uh, our last Talk the Thrones episode ever. Wow. Kind of sad. Getting emotional. Uh, last Game of Thrones, Sunday night, obviously on HBO. And right after that, hashtag Talk the Thrones on The Ringer. Mally Rubin, Jason Concepcion, Chris Ryan. And if you want to uh, actually get ready for the last show, you can listen to The Watch. They broke down the uh, previous episode. You can listen to Binge Mode, which went up today, actually. Mallory and Jason, the premier authorities on that show. And then the other premier authorities, me and Rosillo. We, uh, on our YouTube channel, which you can get to at youtube.com slash ringer, we have cut out all of the reviews that Russillo and I did for each episode of Game of Thrones. And uh, we call it Throne Game. Uh, I, I fully expect, look, it's up to you guys, but I fully expect it to have millions of YouTube views shortly within the next, yeah, I'll give you like two weeks, but you can listen to Throne Game. And, uh, and we will be, we have, we have actually a replacement for Rosillo on Sunday night because he's away. Who's you know who that be? replacement is? No, who's he's been be? booked. He's an old friend. Cousin Sal? The cuz. Oh my God, really? The cuz. We're going to do uh, PGA, gambling, basketball, and then obviously Game of Thrones. So the cuz, he's coming out of the bullpen for Rosillo. And then Rosillo and I are going to do, I, I can't remember when he's coming back, but he will be back. But yeah, we, we, we tapped into Rosillo twice this week, so we're giving him some break. He needs to go back into the garage and refuel, do some deadlifting, get ready, do some squats. Power cleans. Get some power cleans, maybe stare down some dudes in the gym. So he will be back uh, next week. But yeah, Cousin Sal coming on Sunday. What a night that's going to be. I can't wait. Coming up, we're going to talk to House really quickly about the, uh, the lottery and also PGA and whether there's some betting inefficiencies as we head into the weekend. And then... A podcast that I'm very excited about, or an interview I'm very excited about, or a hang. It's not an interview. It's more of a it conversation. Felt like a hang. It felt yeah, like a hang. Kyle loved it. It got like nine grunts from Kyle during the course of the uh, the the hang. Uh, Zane Lowe, the the esteemed employee of Apple, 
who has uh, is one of the best music curators we have. I like to call him a curator, but we have a long history, which we will talk about during the podcast, but really fun. If you love music, I would highly recommend sticking around for that one. First, speaking of music, our friends from Pro Jam. All right, on the line right now, one of my oldest guests, one of my only guests who's in his 50s or higher, the one, the only Joe House, coming fresh off his 50th birthday party. I was so proud, so proud that there was no uh, social media mistakes, no no drunk house photos, uh, no nudity. You seemed like you handled it very well, or you just passed out. What happened? Well, I'm actually saving up. I mean, I, I kind of announced it. I'm going to be celebrating my birthday for the rest of this year. And so there's no reason to really rush into anything. Yeah. I, I expect to be, you know, on a, on a, on a ratio basis. Uh, I expect this year that I've turned 50 to consist of, you know, probably 40% uh, increase in, in uh, pass out drunks, blackout drunk nights. That's great. That's my goal. That's what yeah. I want to hear. I have news for you. Your 50th birthday um, as well as the meal we had uh, when you were here, I, ha- I had a little epiphany. I'm getting in shape again, House. This is your oh your, yeah. This is your least favorite version of me. Um, <laughs> I'm working out and I'm eating better, and I'm I'm gonna go back to what w- was going on in 2012, 13, 14 when you you really kind of resented how I was living my life. It's all coming back, House. It's happening. Here's I, why you my fifty my fiftieth is like four and a half months away. Yeah, I'm returning to the basketball court. Yeah, uh, that's right. Why? I'm gonna turn fifty. Why? I'm getting my legs in shape. I'm getting my body in shape, and I'm coming back so I can play with my uh, my young ringer peeps because that's really I feel like they respect me somewhat now, but. To come out there and hit 19 footers at age 50 right in their mugs, that's what will really, really win the respect that I need. I, I'm watching what happens with Daenerys and Game of Thrones. Like, you can lose it. You can lose the hold of the people really fast. I don't want that to happen with me and my ringer people. So I'm coming back, House. I want you to get in shape. I support you getting in shape. Thank you. I don't think you need to change your diet. Your diet is fine. No, it's not. You need to work on, you know, some some core strength some glute strength, some hip mobility. I got all because that going. What you, well, you need to work on your, on, on your the, the golf swing. You've yeah. got a good golf swing. We finally played two rounds of golf together. Yeah. I want you in shape for the golf trip that we're going to go on. Yeah. The basketball thing is a terrible idea. You're not going to be making 19-footers in anybody's mug. They're, you're going to line up to shoot, and in your brain, you're like, oh, yeah, I get this off quickly. Your brain says, I know how to shoot a 19-footer. Your body is going to take seven and a half minutes to get the ball in a shooting position, <laughs> and Micah Peters is going to come over and make you eat the basketball. Now, that's what he thinks, but but as I'm draining a 19-footer over his mug, he's going to be like, wow, man, this is nobody has a boss like this guy. I, I'm really so lucky. I'm against this. All right, I'm well, against the basketball. I knew you I'm on like the record. It. I'm against it. Um, yeah, the golf too. I should I should be able to play two 18 hole rounds of golf in consecutive days with without like being in pain the next day. So that's it. That's all. So true. anyway, 
Your 50th birthday motivated me. Thank you for that. We uh, have not talked at all since the lottery. Exchanged just a couple brief texts about the, uh, as usual, the Wizards just got screwed. I felt bad for you. You somehow dropped, would you drop three spots somehow? Yeah. I mean, three teams jumped uh, in. <laughs> what are you going to say? Wiz going to whiz. I mean, we, you know, we don't have a GM. The best player is the most overpaid player in the league. I mean, what do you, what do we want? We could have won the lottery. That could have happened, but it wasn't likely and it didn't happen. So Rosillo and I did a live show slash podcast that night, which we ran on this feed. And I haven't had any, uh, I obviously no forums since then. And there's a couple points I missed one, which I saw online. So I apologize to whoever I'm stealing this from, but how ironic was it that the Lakers finished with a better draft pick than the Cavaliers, even though the Lakers got LeBron and LeBron left the Cavs and the Cavs were bottoming out this year. Like if I was a Cavs fan, that I, I would lose my mind over that. I can't believe it played out that way. That was one thing. Um, the big thing I came away from over the next 20, over the 24 hours after the draft was the possibility of Zion not going to the Pelicans. Cause, and there was all this buzz and I couldn't figure out what was true and not true. He stormed out of the lottery after then that turned out that wasn't true at all. There was video of him before the lottery, walking by all the chairs and double tapping the Hawks logo, like giving a little extra love. Like that's where he wanted to go. And he never came out after and like tweeted or anything. And it was in play for a second. And we were slacking about it on the ringer NBA slack for an hour yesterday. Uh, and it was like multiple, several people are typing type of moments. Everybody kind of getting excited for Zion to pull the ultimate power play and be like, trade me or I'm going back to Duke. But now it seems like he's going to New Orleans. I'm not surprised, but I, I'm disappointed because if we're going to have the player empowerment era, let's actually have it. Let's have somebody get drafted and be like, actually, F you. I'm pulling a John Elway. I'm pulling an Eric Lindros. I'm pulling uh, an Eli Manning. I don't want to play for your Francis. Yeah. I'm pulling a Steve Francis. I'm sorry. I just don't want to play for your team. So you're going to have to trade me. Did, did that enter your mind at all during this week? I, I, yes. And I still think it's a possibility. Um, he just doesn't have to use the, I'm going back to Duke card, but like the next four months are going to be so incredible. The entire league is going to be rewritten in terms of the very best, uh, players in the league and where they end up. Like I don't, I can't hazard even hazard a guess Wait, as how to this shakes who's out. Who's going to be on what teams? Yeah, yeah I, I can't even guess. There's too many moving parts, too many moving pieces, and you know, I, I, I just have to. We have to wait until September the first to know, you know, who's going to be playing for what team. I think it's possible that Zion and his team let it be known that he'd prefer to play somewhere else. I mean, it's in his interests and the team's interest to keep all of that quiet so that the Pelicans, if they do indeed want to deal him, are doing so from a position of strength. You can't get much stronger leverage than Zion all by himself. No. But, you know, you don't you don't want him saying publicly, I don't want to play there, and then have teams, you know, come in and, and, and try and uh, shortchange the Pelicans. So I, I'm not 100% convinced he's going to play in New Orleans. Well, he's, am I convinced? Go ahead. He said the right things today, which made me think like, oh, they're just going to be like, all right, cool. We're, New Orleans is good. It's a great city. You and I love New Orleans. I've had some incredible times love there. It. 
for whatever reason, the basketball team has been unfathomably unsuccessful and is being run by the guys who actually run the football team. They're, you know, their gate receipts are bottom three in the league. They got rid of the local newspaper. So they're only being covered by some dude at the athletic, I think. Um, it's just it's just not like the major market you want him to walk into, but I still feel like, you know, if I'm Zion, obviously I what I heard was that he wanted to go to the Knicks or the Hawks. And I have that on pretty good sourcing. But was also like, whatever, I'm just happy to be in the NBA. Um, I don't think it ultimately matters where he plays the first few years because it didn't matter for LeBron in Cleveland. It didn't matter for KD and Russ and OKC. Um I just think if the guy's good, he's going to command everybody's attention anyway. And he's also, Fennessey and I, we were texting about it. We were arguing about whether he was more hyped than LeBron. And Fennessey was like, LeBron was definitely more hyped. That was, you know, everybody was saying he was the Messiah next door and all that stuff. I actually think Zion had more hype because I think there's more ways to hype somebody in 2019. Because in 2003, you had, you had a sports center, you had PTI, you had the Sports Illustrated cover, um, and probably like two other, the ESPN.com, and uh, and they he was on ESPN, his high school games were on three times. We knew about Zion when he was in the 11th grade. Like he, he basically was one of the people that made House of Highlights. He played for Duke. When his shoe exploded, that was probably one of the big water cooler moments of this entire year so far. Um, the, the fact that the Knicks were involved with potentially getting him in the lottery was a huge thing that I think ballooned his stock a little bit. And I think Zion has more hype. What do you think? You, you be the tiebreaker. I think they're equally hyped. So that doesn't break the tie Okay, because I mean, you'll recall we watched LeBron in high school playing basketball on television with like Dickie V and, uh, 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 my boy Billis calling the game. I mean, we were analyzing LeBron's jump shot right. while he was in high school yeah. in a game broadcast on ESPN. So, you know, the 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 hype machine for LeBron, and LeBron was on the cover of Sports Illustrated in high school. Yeah, but the thing is, right? he was, but they were still, he was like a sh- as much of a short thing as anybody was at that point. But there was still like the, ah, he's coming out of high school, you never know, and you know, he's, we, these young guys yeah, but, come but in the league. MJ, MJ had, had had anointed him. MJ gave him the 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 blessing. I know, but he he. It seemed like he was the surest thing that had come out of high school. But I still feel like we've had some good sure things, like Shaq going to Orlando. I think Shaq was about as hyped as any NBA rookie I can remember the last thirty years. I don't think LeBron was more hyped than Shaq was. I think Duncan in 97, um, even though he wasn't as flashy or as fun as somebody like LeBron, there was still the sense that if your team got him, you're going to win the NBA title. Um, yeah. And there, and I, I think Davis was a notch below this. Durant definitely was, although I think with Durant, everyone was just so excited to have this incredible offensive player in the league. I don't, I don't think even like you and I thought he was going to be this good, but we thought he was going to be somebody that averaged 30 points a game and was going to be a potential Hall of Fame score and things like that. Um, I feel like, for me, Zion is the most sure I've felt about anybody that's coming to the draft um, this century. 
And I, I would have Durant second. I would have LeBron third and Davis fourth would be my rankings for the four short things. What would be your rankings? Um, LeBron would be one. Zion would be two. Uh, Durant would be two A. And Anthony Davis would be four. Really? You'd have LeBron one. Oh, I mean, he just. He was amazing. He, 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 and, 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 and he delivered. I mean, the parts of, of LeBron that I think we, because we are so accustomed to him now, don't give him enough credit for is how much poise he had as a child, yeah. as a teenager. He arrived so ready to be a professional basketball player and handled his business for the entirety of his career. The best criticism we can muster until this year when he went to the shitty Lakers, which is so good. The best criticism we can muster of LeBron up until this year was that decision thing, which was just him miscalculating the right way to to kind of deliver news about a change in his life. Right. Like he's a good dude by all indications. You know what I mean? He 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 hasn't stepped on his legacy. He hasn't been his own worst enemy in any way, shape, or form. All he's done is meet and exceed expectations and really change the landscape of professional basketball through a thing that you call you mentioned a couple of minutes ago. This player empowerment thing begins and ends with him. Yeah. Like the the era of these two year three year contracts where the player or one year contract these deals where they where guys can pick their their teams every couple of years and the teams don't have any leverage to say oh no no you must sign for longer that's all because of LeBron I mean it's it's incredible you got to give him credit I think I agree but that's a good segue I do feel like Zion could have controlled this and it would have been the logical conclusion to the player empowerment decade. For Zion to just be, and you know, I've heard the arguments like, well, that would be bad for his brand coming in the league. It's like, you think these guys did affect anyone else's brand switching teams? Like KD, who became way more polarizing after winning the Golden State, didn't affect his brand. He just had just as many chances. He was more famous than he was before he did that. Um, but I think with Zion, it would have been, it would have been riveting if he had just been like, I'm not going. I want to play for Atlanta or the Knicks, or I'm going back to college. I can re-enter the draft on May 29th. By the way, he didn't have to go to college either. He could have gone to like Real Real Madrid for $20 million for one year. He could have definitely, absolutely gotten out of this. It's Thursday night. The draft, the the lottery was Tuesday. All that stuff can still happen. No, nothing's happened yet. He hasn't signed a contract. He hasn't, you know, uh, uh, done any any deals other than maybe whatever's happening with his shoe deal. Like, all that stuff can still happen. The only thing that I'm positive he's not going to do is go back to college. Because, yeah. or, and I also don't think he's going to threaten to go to Europe. He needs that clock to start running on the rookie contract so he can sign the mega now extension he's, as soon look, as possible. This is all conjecture. He's going to New Orleans. We Neither of us think anything other than that is happening. I'm just saying... This could have been a really fun 10 days where he could have just strung it out and been like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me in a week. <laughs> like if you're just talking about what can raise awareness and attention, which seems to be like all we do now this decade with social media and selfies and, you know, the, everybody's just constantly trying to get attention for themselves. And maybe he's not wired like that yet. He's young. But if you're just trying to build your brand and some mystique around you, that actually would have been a pretty good move. You're like, ah, I don't know. 
I might go back to Duke. I don't know, know if I'm totally I, happy with this yet, but he could have, he could have spun it this way. Not as like New Orleans is too small for me or whatever. He could have been like, look, I, I kind of want to know what's going to happen with Anthony Davis. If I, if I can control my own destiny here and you're telling me they have this generational power forward in their team and they're going to trade him for, you know, I, I, I kind of want to know how that trade plays out before I say to myself, yeah, I'm definitely going to go to this team. And then I'd also, why is Anthony Davis unhappy? Why does he want to leave? I just have some questions. Give me a week to figure out how I feel about this. And that would have been incredible. It, it can still happen. It's been barely been 48 hours. Mm. Well, I'll tell you this. I My instant reaction has not changed two days later. Him and Davis and Drew Holiday and some cap space and maybe one veteran free agent and I don't know what else. I just really like that team. I thought Drew Holiday was the most underrated top 35 guy in the league last year. Like He's just really good. And if he's your third best guy, and the way that Davis Zion combo, like that inside outside potential and the way they complement each other and the defensive flexibility they have and how hard Zion plays, I just like the team. So I, I if if they end up not trading Davis, I would really look forward to watching them. Don't you feel the same? Oh, I absolutely feel that way. And and is it we're we're counting Julius Randall out of the picture now? Yeah, Julius has been driven to the airport, and his bags have been given to the uh, to the baggage guy. He's I I think he's he's going to be an asset. I I actually like Julius Randall. I thought he played pretty good this year. He'll he's um, going to have a moment where he is on a playoff team, and is just lighting it up in a round one, and people are like, "Oh wow, Julius Randall! Wow, man, he turned into something." But it's not going to be a New Orleans, well, I don't think. I I feel like New Orleans right this second is uh, like affirmatively in the middle of the Western pack. Like, I think they're, they're right there with like, uh, the Clippers. Well, actually it's hard. To, uh, you mean it, with the team they the, have now, this is the challenge. I can't say the Clippers cause the Clippers are going to be incredible after this summer. <laughs> the, I don't know what's going to happen with the Lakers, but I think New Orleans with Zion and, and AD are already better than the Lakers, but who knows who's going to end up on the Lakers. Well, and who knows Zion where AD goes? I mean, what if they trade AD for a picks and young players package? It, the more I thought about it the last 48 hours, it's, it's such a fascinating situation for somebody as good as Zion to go into because Think about what, when this has happened the other times this decade. Or even like the last time this really happened in the way it's happening now is with Tim Duncan in 97, where he goes to a team that has Duncan, I mean, I'm sorry, David Robinson, Sean Elliott, and Popovich. And that's like an awesome situation. I think they won like 58 games that year or something. Um, LeBron goes to the Cavs. They're a train wreck. Ricky Davis, all those dudes on that team. Like it took them years to come out of that. Anthony Davis goes to New Orleans. I don't even really remember who was on the team when he when when he got there, but it wasn't anybody any of us would remember. Durant goes to Seattle. They trade Ray Allen for Jeff Green and something else, and they're just in a full rebuild. Zion has a chance to go into a situation that he might that team might be like a fifty two win team next year if they made the right moves, you know, which I think is great for him. I, I agree. I mean, that he wants to be. It's in his interest to be. On on a stage where the team is in the playoffs, it's definitely helpful to him to be in the West 
and to get all that like you know the shine that comes from being in the west although the east has really acquitted itself very well uh i think over these playoffs in the east i agree now, i think it's been even with, with, yeah, I, I, but I, but I still think the the West, you know, the shine of the West with the the, Warriors, the stars yeah. seeing yeah. Zion against those stars is going to be fun to watch. I agree. The uh, so that the kind of trade that they can make, it, the Knicks thing is really complicated now, you know, because I don't know if the three pick and Kevin Knox and all that stuff. I don't feel unless you just love R.J. Barrett. Um, I'm not sure that's enough to get Anthony Davis. And same thing with the Lakers. If Ingram's health wasn't in question, I think if you put the four and Ingr a healthy Ingram and a couple other things, they're probably the favorites. But the Pelicans have been pretty clear. We're not trading him to you guys. Um, Celtics just got the Memphis pick rolled over, so that's still an asset. 14-20-22, eh, not great. Tatum, huge step back this year. I'm not positive they have enough either. Hey, my point is, I don't know what the Anthony Davis trade is, which makes me wonder if I'm New Orleans, do I just keep them together for a few months and hope they click? And if they don't, I'm probably still getting the same package from the Lakers in February, right? Oh, 100%. Yeah. So why I not Why not take a look? Look, they, they, they're not trading. They got 3,000 season ticket, new season ticket uh, uh, sales in the in the 48 hours after Zion, uh, I mean, after the, the lottery. They have to show up on day one with Anthony Davis and Zion and, you know, whatever they can put around them, yeah. you know, Drew Holiday. They, they, they owe it to the, to their, to the fan base and to the city to do that. I mean, that's. We, I, I want to see it. Me I want to see those guys play together. So our and recommendation your, your is, is no right. trade. No trade. Just wait. The trade deadline's February 2020. There's What's the hurry? The only thing that could burn them is if the Lakers panic because they're not trading Davis and just end up doing something else. But I don't know what but that so something what? else would be. So the more... Yeah, so what? The more, the more interesting trade person is the number two team, Memphis, because... They basically already come out and said they're taking John Morant. Celtics have their pick top six protected next year. They have Mike Conley. Doesn't make a lot of sense to have Mike Conley in a rebuilding project with two 19 and 20 year olds, Jaron Jackson, Jay Morant, which they should want to be bad and they should want to bottom out one more year and the whole thing. So it's like, oh yeah, they'll trade Conley. That'll be great. It's complicated. He's 32 and a half this year or this upcoming year. And then he's got a 34.5 million player option the year after that. And it's twofold. There's there's really not a lot of teams that need a point guard. You know? It's it's the Washington does. It's the deep <laughs> you don't have the 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 uh We don't have anything. Yeah, you you're out. I crossed you off. Um Okay. Most teams have a point guard that they're pretty happy with. He also makes so much money, it would be hard to even make the trades match. And then, you know, some teams might not be crazy about spending $68 million on Mike Conley. So you're looking at a situation where I think Indiana needs a point guard. They they might make sense. Um, maybe the Knicks, if they got KD and Kyrie ended up not going there and you do like a Dennis Smith Jr. and Courtney Lee's expiring for Conley, something like that, uh, to give a second star. I think Utah potentially. And then the Wild. I mean, how, how, what do we know about Conley who's running the pick and roll? 
Well, I, I mean, Philly Philly could use a, a a a point guard that knows how to run a pick and roll. I know, but they don't have the contracts because they basically have either giant contracts or small contracts. And Elton Brand traded all their assets so he could lose in the second round. So that happened too. House, I'm going to throw this trade at you. You're not going to believe this, but the, Celt- the Celtics are involved. Um, <laughs> Hayward. Oh, thanks for not laughing. I thought for sure you're going to laugh when I said Hayward. Go ahead. I'm I'm listening. I'm patient. Well, Hayward matches the contract. Yes. Hayward, 14 and 20 for Conley. I I bet Memphis does that. How much longer? How much? What additional years on? Same. The same number of years? Yeah. Yeah, I think that kind of makes sense for Memphis. And it definitely makes sense for Hayward. So Boston does that. Let's just walk me through my hypothetical. I don't have to have Kyrie in my life uh, scenario again. Boston does that trade and then offers basically Tatum, Smart, and every other first-round pick and Robert Wayne, whatever. They just godfather offer uh, for Davis or try to and hope to bowl New Orleans over with that. And then next year, it's basically they're left with Davis, Mike Conley, Jalen Brown, um, but yeah, the, the, why would Davis resign with Boston if if all I, the assets pro- are gone? He probably wouldn't. This is I. I just don't want Kyrie. <laughs> okay, in, good try. I don't want Kyrie. Good try. Good effort. I don't want Kyrie on the team again. <laughs> he, I, I don't know how that could work. He, it, that relationship has been poisoned. If Kyrie Irving shows up in Boston for Game One on October the whatever, if it's going to be the twentieth, in 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 the Garden or whatever they call it now. They're, the Boston is going to boo. The crowd is going to boo Kyrie Irving's introduction. What what can he do to redeem himself? You know, and 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 reclaim his status in that city. I don't think anything. It, it, he's got to go. You know, I'm not one. I try not to be one of these guys that's like the talking cat on ESPN who makes points like this. So I apologize in advance. Embiid crying after Game Seven. And how immediately just devastated he was and the whole thing and how he handled it. And then the viral video of him hugging his girlfriend after and all that stuff. Um, compared to how Kyrie went out in that Buck series, those last couple games. <laughs> which guy would uh-huh. you rather have on your team? Now, granted, right. I'm not saying Embiid is infallible. Like the dude needs to stop having four milkshakes a day and needs to actually get his ass in shape before he ends up having real knee troubles and ends up out of the league. Like he needs to get in real shape. And if he did, it was a maturity thing. Yeah, there, but it, yes, it's I time agree. now, Joel, get in fucking it's, shape. It's time to grow up. Yeah, we want to see. Up. We want to see you. You know, I want to read the article about how you got so-and-so personal trader and you're in the best shape of your career and oh my God, and this guy's going to go for 35 and 15. Let's have it. No more excuses. You're like 25 years old, get in shape. Um, but they, that compared to the Kyrie just could not have cared, could not have cared at all. In that, I think the feeling was mutual. Yeah. He was just ready to go. He's like, he's like, everybody uh, felt that way. Yeah. Good riddance. I wish him a lot of luck in his next stop. I will say, Loved watching him though. I mean, uh, other than the fact that he completely killed our team from within like a rotten apple. Um, I loved watching him. He, I've never seen a player more entertaining from the, from in the air and traffic and lefty righty, all that. He's just never seen anything like it. Um, give me any more lottery thoughts that you have. Any like uh, uh 
the Knicks at three. We both like RJ Barrett more than most, right? He's fine. I I still uh, have my doubts about. I just don't like that shooting percentage that he had at the end of games, and and the fact that he got all the touches and Zion didn't get any touches. It seemed like he had blinders on at the end of games. That's uh, a a curable defect. Yeah, he took a lot of big shots and made a lot of big shots. He has professional level swagger right now. And I, other than that one sort of nagging concern, I didn't like the way he 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 you know in in close games he uh, conducted himself with a minute left. Otherwise, he's got all the skills. He's got everything. He's got everything that you want. He's got an inside game, outside game. He can score from anywhere. He'll get foul calls because of the way he leans. I love I love his body control. Would you want to see? He's going to be a great finisher. Would you want to see him and Zion in New Orleans together? Wow. With or without AD? Well, it'd without, be right? AD, AD for you know the third pick. Um, Kevin Knox, two first rounders, something like no, that. No, I'd rather see. I'd rather see Zion with AD. I think I would too. It's not quite enough. It's it's just not. It doesn't feel like enough. But I, the irony is, I really think KD, Kyrie, and AD was in play before that lottery, and that lottery weirdly messed that up. We should talk really quickly about. Everyone thought that lottery cured tanking, and I was thinking about. It, I was looking at the percentages and how it played out, and it it kind of redistributed the reward for tanking. Because it's no longer in a team's best interest to just be fucking horrible, you know, to go 13 and 69, because it's not going to guarantee you anything. But what it does do is a situation like what we had last year with the Pelicans or the Lakers, where it's like, hey, hmm, we're not going to make the playoffs. Let's start shutting guys down. And you have Anthony Davis basically sitting out from after the All-Star break and playing spotty minutes, whatever. Or LeBron shutting it down two and a half weeks to go in the season, things like that. All the, all this lottery did was make sure that's going to happen from now on. It's like either, not only we're not making the playoffs, fuck this, let's start shutting dudes down. But even like whether it's worth it to go for the eighth seed or not. You know, like was it worth it with these new lottery rules for Orlando to make this huge push just to get crushed by Toronto in five in round one versus... If they had landed in the eighth or ninth spot, they actually could have gotten a top three pick. I think that's the new danger now with the tanking. So the interesting thing with that will be, you know, we only get these once in a generational kind of players, reputation wise, like once every six years or so. Yeah, six, it, seven. Seven years. So that's like the the cycle time, because most of the time the incentive is not there to miss out on the great benefits of making the playoffs. See, I I think it made sense for Orlando to make the playoffs just to remind that fan base, to revitalize that fan base. Like, hey, we, this is a major league thing. We accomplished something. The second best team in, in the Eastern Conference is coming down here and playing games against us. You get to see Kawhi in Orlando in the playoffs. They won a game. So, like, I I still think it's beneficial. And, and – uh, in addition to the to the young players on Orlando, like there's no uh, comparison for playoff stress for playoff performance. You you can't muster, you can't replicate it during the regular season. So seeing who who's up to that moment 
and who can you know kind of rise and 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 distinguish themselves that's still valuable so i still think like going for the eighth seed has value it's it's desirable for franchises on the brink the only time the concern that you've identified comes into play is when a player like zion is out there and then it's like maybe you know because if 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 you're nine or ten you still have a pretty reasonable shot at at at, you know pulling out something in the lottery yeah i i think we're both right I I'm with you on I like when my players are in the playoff when my especially when I have a younger team I like having those guys get a feel for the playoffs and the intensity and just what changes and what's different. Rosello was talking about it Sunday night about the, how dramatic the difference is now between the regular season and the playoffs. Not that it wasn't before, but it just feels more dramatic than it ever was. And there's clearly a level that it goes up, and it's good for you to get a taste of that. I think, but on the other hand, you know. I think when Zion's available and we've just established that you can go from 11 to four or eight to one and all the other stuff that happened, you got to think about it. I have one last draft lottery thing for your house. Let me hear it. I like taco. I would, I would take a late first round flyer on taco. I don't think he's a first rounder. I think he's going to go like mid second round, but (laughs) I've been thinking a lot about what, what we've watched, especially in these game sevens. And how there's just only certain types of players that could even be out there. And it's like, I just feel like he could have played in that Sixers game. He could have gone in for Embiid for like eight minutes, you know? Man. Just stick it, stick it, <laughs> just taco. Go in there and stick your arms up and try not to bump into anybody for five minutes. Well, the, I would just so they rather, had that guy. Yeah. His name was Boban. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, but I, well, I think Taco is. They have that guy. I think I think he's Boban two point That's my that's my take. <laughs> well, there's a role for that guy in the league, it, and especially if if Taco has a personality that's one tenth as as exciting as, uh, as Boban. Yeah, yeah, as exciting and incur- I mean, what a what a great human Boban is. I know he, he's a he's a man of the people. He's in John Wick. He's a he's a terrific actor. He's a ter- terrific ambassador of the game. Speaking of John Wick, we did a rewatchables about John Wick too this week. And Shay has a John Wick podcast. If the people out there like the John Wick stuff, I just, I feel like taco could be in a 10 man rotation. It's not unrealistic. To okay. Me. After pick 20, I just want guys who I think could be in a rotation. Potentially. I like him. I liked what I saw from him in that, uh, that college game. I just, he tries hard. We're and I talked about this Sunday night. I just want guys who try hard after pick 20. Cause they, cause you saw it in game seven. If, if you're not like balls to the wall, laying it out, you, you're not playing. You're just on the bench. And when, when I need you the most, I'm not, I can't have you out there. So even like somebody like Austin rivers, who's been a pain in the ass and has switched team seven times, like that guy fucking tries, you know? And that's why the Rockets had to keep playing him and during the course of that series quickly, we got to go. Um, PGA, we, we saw one round. Brooks talked a lot of shit before this tournament. Brooks had that. They asked him if it's easier to win a major or or a regular tournament. He was like, it's absolutely easier to win a major. He laid out all the ratios. Kind of incredible. Brooks having a heat check. And then he goes out and he shoots, what, a 63? 64 today. 64? Um, Oh, 63. I'm sorry. 63. You're right. Seven under. 63. On Beth Page Black, which is not easy. (laughs) Well, the 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 over under 
prop for the week on best score of the week was 64 and a half. And he went out shot 63. Take that for data. Jeez, seriously. <laughs> yeah. That was a take that for data. So we we liked we bet on Tommy Fleetwood and John Rahm. Tommy Fleetwood was 28 to 1. John Rahm was uh 18 to 1. Two of our favorites. We always we always seem to have money on them at every major. They haven't won yet. But when it happens, it's gonna be like we're related to them. Uh, it's gonna be like when Nathan Hubbard's brother won the uh, web.com thing. But uh looking at the odds, who do you like? Anybody, anything you saw in that round one, you're thinking like this person, watch out. Because you know somebody's going to kick ass tomorrow. So who who could that be? Well, it, one encouraging thing was Dustin Johnson didn't drive the ball very well today. And uh, his irons were not particularly sharp. And he still shot one under. Mm. Now that has him six shots behind Brooks. But he had probably like a C-plus game and is still inside the top 10 right now. And that's so and, – and he's – obviously got all of the attributes that you need at Beth page. So if there's any kind of stumble whatsoever out of Brooks, and you'll recall Brooks also led the masters. He shot six under at the masters yeah. and then had a couple of days of, you know, kind of a round par performances. And then, and that let other guys go out and shoot low and, and catch up to him. And it became like a, you know, uh, kind of a four guy race, five guy race coming into that Sunday. Well, um, DJ's ten to one right ahead. now. Kepka's plus one twenty. Fleetwood's ten to one. Jason Day eighteen to one. Fowler eighteen to one. Uh, our boy John Rahm is twenty five to one. Tiger. Oh, it, may, it might be time to sprinkle a little extra on John Rahm. DJ at ten to one is pretty enticing because that that course is well, like kind of kind of made for him. Where it's, they're the same odds as 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 uh, what he started with before he played around. I know, but I kind of wanted to see it from him. By the way, hasn't he been the best player in the on the tour this year so far? Like, from isn't he number one ranked? He's the he's the number one ranked player in the world according to the official World Golf Rankings. Rory McIlroy is the best player in the world for this season. He's uh, he's won um, in a couple of different places worldwide, and he's also at the top of all the statistical categories. The only time that he's finished outside the top 10 in any event he's played this year was at the Masters, and that's because the Masters is in his head. Um, but yeah, Dustin's the number one ranked player in the world because they they, they measure that over kind of a two-year performance span. I like the 10-to-1 um, like for him. Uh, it's, it's a... It's, it's the same as, as we, what you could have got before today happened. I know, but he he but the leader shot a sixty three and won two ma two majors last year, and he's still ten to one. So that tells me Vegas is at least respecting him properly. What is yeah that what that makes sense? What's your favorite Beth Page black hole? Uh, wow, that's a great question. I, I <laughs> it's stupid. I really love eighteen. I just think. You, you tee off. I've played it. I played it a couple of years ago. I played it with a bunch of Holy Cross boys, our, our boy Finney. Oh, wow. Jim Finn hooked it up. And, uh, you know, we had a spectacular day. We, we played Beth Page Black, and then we went to Luger's. How about that? That's you come out day. to the East Coast. We're going to run this back with Finney. Finney is like the mayor of Luger's. I'm not kidding you. You wouldn't believe when Jim Finn walks into Peter Luger's, all, everybody in the place turns is like, Finney! Like he's been, you know, like he's there three, you know, six days a week and twice on Sundays. It's yeah, but, incredible. That, but that's what but I'm that's what he was like at every Holy Cross party, too. 
<laughs> maybe true. that's just what he's like. It's, it's just what he's like. Everybody loves Finney. How can you not well, love Maybe Finney? he should be the he president. Must- maybe get rid of get rid of Biden and all these other dudes that can't beat Trump or just elect Finney. Like, what are his credentials? That's, well, when I he mean, walks in the room, everybody yells Finney. That's what we got. That is a pretty good credential. Yeah. Like, do you think that that's ever happened with Biden or Trump? Do you think they've ever walked in there into a bar and everybody turned and was like, Trump, Trump him, Daddy! Get the fuck out of here. No way. No chance. I wonder what, what, what um, derisive so nickname. I like 18. I wonder what derisive nickname Trump would have given Finney. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't come up with like, it. Finney's money. No so credentials, smooth. Finney. I don't, I don't know. He, Sleepy Creepy Joe was really, he really peaked with that one. Uh, it was on the money. House, enjoy the uh, PGA. Enjoy uh, the first week of being 50 and enjoy being drunk for the rest of this year. We'll talk to you. Oh, and don't yeah, forget yeah, about look, your pot. Plug your podcast really quick. Yeah, Fairway Rolling Sunday recap. We will be on as soon as a champion has been declared at, at Bethpage Black. Uh, we'll give our immediate reaction and and uh, hyperbole and you know where does this fit in history and all the rest of it. it doesn't seem like it's going to be Tiger, but it does seem like it's going to be something pretty good. Well, I'm available for a 10 minute hit on that if you need me. Hey now, you're on. That's it. You're in. I'll call you at uh, Sunday evening. I already told my wife. I was like, I'm watching sports all weekend. She's like, Well, how's that different than the end of the weekend? I was like, But I'm just laying it out here now. I don't want you to be surprised. <laughs> I love the PGA. I want Beth Page Black. There's basketball. Like, this is just what's going to happen this weekend. I'm sorry. Uh, House, always a pleasure. Talk to you soon. Hey, let's take a break to talk about GOAT, the global destination for authentic sneakers, ranging from general releases to rare exclusives and everything in between. More importantly, uh, one of my son's favorite apps. I can't wait to tell him. And Nephew Kyle. Anytime you can get the Nephew Kyle Ben Simmons' Venn diagram. You know you've won. They have thousands of styles from the past and present. They even have shoes that have yet to be released. All are guaranteed authentic by GOAT. They work only with trusted sellers and inspect every detail before any shoe is sold. From the stitching and color to the size and weight, they ensure every shoe matches exact factory specs. With over 15 million users around the world buying and selling verified shoes every day at GOAT, you'll find exactly what you want at the best price possible. This is an amazing app. This is one of those apps that you go on and 35 minutes later, you're still searching for size 11 Air Jordans. There's so many options, there's prices. God, they just rope you in. Uh, For this month only, get free shipping at goat.com slash BS. Goat.com slash BS for free shipping until the end of the month. And if you're a shoe junkie or a wannabe shoe junkie, or you love shoes and you love the sneaks, I I, I can't recommend Goat highly enough. Uh, plus, you'll be supporting the show. G-O-A-T dot com slash B-S. Uh, coming up right now, as promised, the one, the only, Zane Lowe. So every once in a while, I have people in my life that I always know they're going to come on the podcast, but then we never actually schedule it. (laughs) So this guy's been in my life for a while because Mm -hmm. our sons are very close. Mm -hmm. And finally the time came because Game of Thrones is ending this weekend. And Zane Lowe is like, let's finally do it. And then we can also talk about Thrones, which is what you really care about. It's your passion. Right now it's all I care about. But it was getting a little awkward because you reached out to me at the end of last year and was like, come on the podcast. I was like, hell yeah, I was excited. 
obviously. And then it was like Christmas break. And then and it then, just didn't really happen. Yeah. Well, you go and away. Then, you like disappear. You no, go well, hang like on. Let's be, let's be really clear. Like you, you came to me and was like, come on a podcast. And you know, first of all, Ben got Lucci to ask if I come on your podcast, which I thought was sweet. Right, right. So you right. used your son to get to me. I thought it was very sweet. It was a nice like, way to reach I out to me. I thought it was a good and gesture. Then, and then Carrie was like, hey, Bill, I was like, cool, now he's going through the wife. This is a nice thing. We're <laughs> dancing around each other. The friendship will get there in the end, you know? Yeah. And then we finally- It's a courting. Then we, it was a courting <laughs> process, but then you didn't call for like months. And I got yeah. like, and then I eventually, and this is the truth, people, was I just invited myself to the red wedding. But it was, it was- <laughs> It was gonna happen, but now I'm glad. I'm glad we're finally doing yeah, it. Yeah, he just because sometimes me. like you manipulated me so that I eventually asked myself <laughs> to go on your podcast. You're such an alpha. <laughs> like, I, yeah, job done. Well, I had these these people in my life that I'm like, there's gonna be a week, mm. and it'll be the perfect week to do it. But mm. like when basketball and then football, and then it's like, yeah. I, but now we're here. We're here. Thrones, nothing's more important, and we're gonna talk about it yeah. at the tail end of this podcast. So yeah. if you haven't caught up on Thrones out there, we won't spoil it for Too you bad. because we're saving it. If but you then we're going to go in. But what about these people that, and I know we're going to save all the good stuff for the end, but what about all these people who decide to watch in the last- like, On their week? terms. Yeah, like, oh, it's the final season. I'll watch it all in three days. It, it just annoys me. Like, you're just being disrespectful to the process. We all had to wait. And now you're just coming in and hitting it on demand. It's going like VOD, just like it's easy. And this thing hasn't been easy. Like, no. And I was late. Like, I was not as early as my wife. I was probably halfway through. You know, I can't even lie. I came in pretty late, but not as late as these people who are annoying me right now. Yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. Late. I always feel bad because I remember I spoiled one show a few weeks after it was over. Right. And I was like, you know, if you haven't watched it now, that's oh, not my fault. Fine. But then I got a couple emails from people who were serving our country overseas. It was like, uh, hey, dude, yeah, yeah, I love yeah. your podcast and I'm not able to watch the show yet. That's so actually a good like, point. So now I stack it at the end. That's I'm always looking out. Shout out to the troops. 100%. Um, all right, so let's go with your background. All right. First of all, you're one of you're the pride of New Zealand, or is it Stephen Adams? Did Stephen you guys Adams have a fight. Yet? I mean, there's no one. It's first, well, it's it's like first of all, it's the prime minister who's been just doing an incredible job lately, and then it's Stephen. Then it's probably Neil Finn still. Like, oh, really, like, Neil Finn's holding I mean, on. Oh, dude. I mean, you know, <laughs> don't dream it's over, man. If you write a song yeah. like that, you know, it you, is you a classic. take a seat at the table, and then Stephen Adams. I'm probably ranking in about fifth or sixth. I reckon that's solid. I'm good. You're at the table. I'm happy. We talked about Stephen Adams a couple weeks ago after Oklahoma City got knocked out. Uh, Long story short, they have a very complicated roster where mm -hmm. they have a lot of expensive salaries. So mm -hmm. I theorized, hey, if they want to shake things up, like Stephen Adams is somebody they could trade. It became a national story in New Ooh. Zealand for like two days. It was like, American pundit thinks OKC should trade And Adams. you know, you carry on down that road, eventually John Oliver will pick up on the fact oh that Bill God. Simmons is yeah, now being, yeah. being villainized in New Zealand. And then it's that'll tough. become a part of like, you know, this week tonight or whatever. So, yeah. Because you know, he I loves talking even, about New Zealand, John Oliver. That's like one of his favorite things in the world. Is it really? Yeah. In time. a good way or a bad way? Uh, look, if everything John Oliver does, even when he's being somewhat, you know, um, dismissive, if it's if it's done in that way, it can be a good thing. It's a good thing. He loves yeah. New Zealand. Well, I my feeling was the people of New Zealand, the good people, were not. They weren't mad at me. They were more. They were more hurt and alarmed that Stephen Adams could be traded. And I don't even think they fully understand the concept of a trade. Well, but you know, it's but, just like, he's going to be fine. He still gets to make nah, his money. He's just you, on a different team. No, nah, but you are too long in the tooth when it comes to your experience in sports. I know that this is the world's most listened to sports podcast. Yeah. And you know how sensitive the word trade is for people, especially yeah. when he's the only representative playing in the NBA on a team like that. You know, Stephen Adams is a national treasure. You start throwing the, the word trade around. I mean, 
what are we talking about here? I mean, it's, just, it's almost Fernando fever. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I, he's he's really been my only exposure to um, New, Zealand, New Zealand from a sports standpoint. And all the stories were like, what, no rugby? You know, no, I don't watch that stuff. But they always, the, when they write about him, it's like he's got he's seventeen brothers and sisters, yeah. and he's a crazy person. I'm like, is that so? I I just have no feel for New Zealand. First of all, <laughs> glad to be of service. Bro. Yeah, thank Let's you. Get into it. <laughs> Let's do it quickly. Um, New Zealand versus Australia. Fine, everything is good. Unless it's good they, unless they try and take credit for things that ultimately we've given birth to, like people, which they've been known to do, <laughs> and uh, or or there's a game on. If there's a game on, it's all out. It's okay. all out. I mean, you know the rivalry situation. Yeah. It's like if there's something happening where there's a there's a you know a yellow rugby team and a and an all black rugby team playing, it's it's forget about it. So rugby's when it gets ugly. Rugby, cricket, um, drinking, all the sports. Who is the Canada and who is the America in this situation? <laughs> oh wow. That's such a loaded question. Can we save that one to the end? No, I wanna know. Who's know. Canada? We'll be Canada. Who's the? Are you the friendlier, but deep down you don't want to mess with you? I will say this about Australia, and I mean this with a genuine amount of respect. Australia has, a, and and you'll recognize this, they have an, an incredible culture of winning. Right? Yeah. Australia is like America in the sense that, and this is where the comparison can, can be true, um, there's a sense of like when I run onto the field, even if I'm not the best team on the day, my whole sense of self-belief and my manifestation of destiny is going to potentially cause an upset. I've seen Australians run on to varying sporting events and by no means be match ready and win the game. They have a culture of winning. We have that when it comes to certain sports. Um, we have that in other areas of life, but dude, Australians are ferocious competitors. Can you tell the difference in accents or is it similar? Yeah, yeah, totally. Ours, is, ours is way better. Yours is better? <laughs> of course. <laughs> Theirs is crazier? Uh, it's just, it's a little hard on certain consonants, you know? For America, like pop culture and stuff, mm. Australia had a big lead in the 80s and 90s. We were talking about like NXS and things like that. Yeah, Men at Work was oh, huge. Yeah, and they, but because and this is what Australia does very well when it comes to music is uh, they they take the banal, they take the normality of suburbia, and they paint a very romantic picture out of it. Mm. Um, you know, went down the street, got a pint of milk. You know, went down <laughs> to the pub, smashed some pints, and talked over life. That girl got away. You know, it's very they paint it in a beautiful way with these great songs, and um, and so you know they they take suburban life and they 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 dress it up good. Whereas. Crowded, it, crowded house is going like, don't, don't fucking dream it's over don't yet. Don't dream it over. Man, yeah. just, I'm still here. Yeah. I'm still number two at the table right now behind the prime minister. What was, there was the other song, uh, Whenever one? I Fall at Your Feet. Oh, that's that? It's called Fall at Your yeah, Feet, right? Fall at your feet. That's like one of the best love three and a half minute time. love songs. Yeah. What about, I was always trying to get my daughter to sing that one because I always try to make her a, sing 80s, by the 90s. Way, she's always got an incredible voice. She had a decent voice. She's got a great voice. But I was like, I'm like, go backwards. There's so many good songs that nobody has. You know when you that do the school when it talent goes, show? Yeah, Those guys were great. Oh my God, it's crazy. Amazing I may or may not have seen them in person in 1987. I saw multiple shows, but I mean, you know, they were a special band and for a long time, they, like most artists will ride a wave and 
and like great surfers, and to, to use the, the analogy, you know, um, some people like Kelly Slater can still ride the wave decades on, you know, yeah. but a lot of times, you know, you get a window where you're at your most productive and creative and you just tap into something special. And I feel like Crowded House for a few years there were just kind of like the bar for songwriters. And actually, as I've gone on in my life, speaking to other songwriters who I admire, you mentioned you're from New Zealand. They just want to talk about Neil Finn. Really? They, and Paul Hester, rest his soul. And, and you know, um, the whole band was just very, you know, it's very respected in the craft of songwriting for sure. I feel that way about uh, the One Oasis album. The first or second one? The second one. Classic. That has, like, I think Wonderwall, I was listening to that. I, I have these different playlists that I make, and I'm so, some of them are the years, because yeah. I like going back to the year, because yeah. it brings me back to wherever I was in my life and the songs and what they mean. Yeah. And uh, I think Wonderwall was maybe, it was 95 or 96. Yeah. But that yeah. song just beginning, middle, and end is like kind of perfect. Dude, it's perfect. It's, it's like got to be perfect. one of the best five songs anyone's ever written it's, and executed. I mean, it's definitely in the top 10 greatest songs ever to come out of the United Kingdom, which is like, that's lofty mm. in itself. So, you know, you, you know you're know you bringing Zeppelin and the Beatles and right. Floyd and all sorts of people into that equation. I think Noel Gallagher wrote that one. He got that one in. And I think that album itself, start to finish, is pretty phenomenal. You talk about Champagne, Supernova. Yeah. You talk about Cast No Shadow. That song is massive. Like that is a huge, like emotional, great moment. Like that's the sound of a band at their just absolute confident peak. Yeah, you know where they just know they've got the world's attention, and Noel's just like, "Wow, I've dreamt of this moment, and I don't want to let it go. So I'm just gonna write twelve bangers." And he just wrote like the most amazing album, start to finish, and that was their wave, right? And they've had a few albums ever since, and I've gotten into trouble with Noel in the past for you know, drawing comparison of previous Oasis albums to contemporary Oasis albums. He doesn't like that game. But they're broken up now, so it is what it is. I mean, they're definitely those first two two albums were, were their creative peak. Did you do, you used to do these, uh, you would break down albums on your old show. Yeah, Masterpieces, yeah. Yeah, and that was kind of like the first, it was. Someone asked me the other day if that's coming back. I was like, in the streaming era, I'm not sure that's really <laughs> relevant anymore, you know? Well, no, actually, it, it was like a podcast series before we had podcast series, yeah. you know? Like, yeah, I was, but I, was I never even knew you were doing that until somebody told me about it way yeah. after. Well, it was because like there was all this conversation about, um, you know, songs becoming the priority and, and iTunes was well and truly in the swing of being like the revolutionary distribution model that it, that it really ultimately has been and is still. Um, and, you know, there was always conversation about albums and where they still mattered. And I, I have a very simple philosophy about that, which is as long as album, artists want to make albums, albums will matter, right? It's like how we consume, it's up to us now, but artists still want to go into the studio and make a body of work. No artist, and I said this the other day, ever says, I'm in a very emotional place, I need to say something. It's a form of therapy. I can't wait to spend six hours making a song. <laughs> They're yeah. like, I want to spend six weeks making an album. I want to get this out in a process. And so that process matters. And at the time, this conversation was like, albums, albums, do they matter? So we just decided to play them. And we just thought it would be a cool way to kill some time on Radio 1. And then it became this really big deal where people all over the world used it as a chance to um, sort of meet at one time and share stories and rethink and re what they thought of the album, of the album and all that stuff. Yeah. And listen to each other's point of view it's and a great it was, idea it was cool and social media really helped and it just was a really nice little window and you know ideas are good for the time that they're good and then you move on to the next one you know? did you do the oasis album you must have right we did the first album and the reason we, we did the first album even though i prefer the second one is because um if you live in the uk it's definitely maybe that's the Right. You, know, you could get yourself into some trouble over a few pints if you really, really try to vouch for what's the story of it. Definitely, maybe. Really? Like, oh, 
without a shadow of a doubt. You're I talking, really like both of them. I, I don't both know. Both great, but I, I mean, feel like they complement each other. But from from an American point of view, you know, I think living out here, this was when What's the Story was the album that really connected Oasis to America, and it became this kind of real moment for them. But in the UK, you know, rock and roll star. Um, you know, supersonic. Yeah, yeah. Don't look back in anger. These are big. Oh, maybe that was the second album. Maybe I don't know. Whatever. There were big songs on the first album. You know, and it was just. A, it's just that is a real blueprint record. If you grew up in the UK at that time, that's like, like you know, you go and see Liam Gallagher perform solo or Noel perform with his band, and they'll play those songs, and it's everyone just goes back twenty years. <laughs> It's such a bummer that they had that they fell out like they did. They did a documentary about it, and I didn't feel like it never quite got there. It didn't get there because they didn't cover it. They stopped at the end of like the the, the glory, the, the best time. They yeah. deliberately cut it short at that moment in time. <laughs> Meanwhile, what I wanted was I wanted the fist all right. What yeah. the fuck happened? Yeah, I wanted the fist fight. No, yeah. I, I, I for me, I just felt like as a fan and anyone who was really following the band at the time, I just felt like they were on. They were on a fine line for quite a while. I, I just yeah. didn't feel like they, they, they were running on all cylinders for quite some time. And um, there was always a, a hint that it, the, the, the next fight could be the last one. So I, I just didn't feel surprised. I, I, everyone I knew wasn't shocked at all when they broke up. It was it's like, one of my favorite subjects. Oasis? When I, no, just when bands break up. Right. One of my favorite documentaries ever was The History of the Eagles Part 1. And, <laughs> and Part 1 is so good. Part is that the amazing. one where he's like, he broke his worst, his cheapest yeah, his guitar. cheapest guitar. His cheapest guitar. <laughs> Don Henley's just so smarmy the whole time. <laughs> I wrote a whole like 6,000 word piece at Grantland about how much I love this doc. Amazing. And I was just so fascinated by so many elements of it, like how, how fame, you know, when, when somebody just becomes so famous that it actually is going to become detrimental. Like you can't survive it, which is what happened to them. Yeah. The alpha dog battle, how Henley like slowly took control of the For band. Sure. Especially how, then, because they were like literally, they were adventurers. They were marking new territory with every step yeah. they took. No one had reached that level. And people forget, forget that now because, you know, it's just such a big deal, you know, and you can reach it so quickly in social media and it's just such a direct line of communication and, and relationship between artist and fan. But back then, man, I mean, it was, you were, they were playing like 100,000 cedar like rose bowls and right. it's unheard of i'm so jealous of the people now because like when i was growing up i turned 50 this year when i was growing up and you could start buying cds and stuff like 82 83 and i'm like oh cool cds yeah. so much better than cassettes let's get these mm -hmm. and i only had like basically 16 17 years of music to draw from mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. like basically the doors was about as far back as i wanted to go mm -hmm. there just wasn't a lot of music for what i liked and then over the next, you know, that decade, things really took off and music was so much fun. But now I look at the people, you come in in 2019, first of all, you have 30 plus years of hip hop. Yeah. You didn't have hip hop in 1982. So good. I mean, grown up hip hop is just the best hip hop. I mean, now you can actually trace it from, from, from infancy to adolescence to like maturity. And now literally Jay-Z putting out that 444 album, which is like, it's like a Bob Dylan blood on the track. Sort, <laughs> right. sort of Marvin Gaye him idea. Like he's, he went out and made an album that was a mature hip hop record that really didn't even chase down a hit single. It was just like, I have to make this. Yeah. And hip hop, maybe that might be the first time it's ever been done to that degree where it right. wasn't about a single driven experience and that's just a reflection of you know hip-hop now as a, as a as a as a culture and the rappers and music going you know we're, we're grossed up like it's like jay-z's like a grown human being it's an appropriate album for someone at that stage of his life being through what he and his wife went through to right. make 
So why not make it? I was the best. I loved that album so much. Springsteen's had a couple like that too. Yeah. You know, he did, the, I always thought Tunnel of Love was his most fascinating album where yeah. he was like, I fell in love and it didn't work out. And yeah. I just wrote 12 songs about yeah, it. Because, and I don't have, cause I don't have to chase any success cause I've been more than validated in the environment. Yeah. So now it's just about the craft. And I think, you know, that's really where rap is now is it's like, I mean, like, let's just be very clear. It's the single most exciting genre of music. Like it just oh, tells the, far. it's the most honest, the most, like the most visceral. It captures the moment. It tells the truth. It's just the best. I really wonder what happens with rock. Cause yeah. you think like, uh, you know, I remember when rock had a real revival in alternative rock and oh two oh three oh four when the White Stripes had their album and strokes. the Killers and stro yeah. the Strokes and it just was really felt like oh shit yeah. cool this is happening yeah and it lasted maybe five years yeah and then you know what they called it in the UK when bands came out with second and third albums they called this is the worst term ever and I mean basically the person who invented this term and probably published it for the first time I would imagine it was probably in the NME called it an indie landfill and oh. if you come up with the term indie landfill like That's it's brutal. over like it's over. But you can yeah. make the greatest album of all time. It's going in the landfill. Well, it's funny how none of them. I, you can make a case, and I don't even know. Coldplay's not really a rock band, no. but you can make the case Coldplay is the last new huge rock band. Well, Arctic Monkeys, I think definitely. I mean, they're not they're not levels of Coldplay big like stadiums and stuff like that. But I mean, but I, how many how many bands who came out this century mm. could fill football stadiums everywhere? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, obviously Coldplay can do it. Football stadiums. Because you're talking football stadium big. It just doesn't seem to happen anymore. I'm just trying to think who's playing football stadiums now. Ed Sheeran's playing football stadiums. Taylor Swift plays football stadiums. Oh, Jay-Z, Eminem, Eminem. Yeah. Ed Sheeran is probably, because he came out after Taylor, he's probably the most contemporary artist going straight into stadiums. I mean, if you want to talk about sort of market share versus margin, that guy is like, dude, one guy on a guitar. Come on, are you kidding me? That's that is amazing. That's incredible. I That's mean, why I always stand. I think the police was the greatest rock band of all time because there was only three people. Mm. It's like just degree of difficulty. And also they were three. Just, I know, I know. But then they sure made a meal out of being three people in a band. I mean, talk about like really, there's only three of you. It's much harder when you're Fleetwood Mac and there's 10 of you. Like all of a sudden, like there's three of you and you can't get along. Are you kidding? There's three of you. Three of you and you hate each other hate like each other. almost immediately. I know, so I know. It's, well, that's one of the best stories ever told. Because oh, yeah. The, just It'll the, never be told either. No, no, not to the degree I probably should. But it was, yeah, I mean, the music that came out was, I mean, and, and fair play to them. They got out of their own way. They realized for those five, six albums, like, this is special, even though I can't stand looking at you. Right. <laughs> there was, so apparently, I never knew about this until recently, but they had this thing called the Us Festival in, in California, in San Bernardino, which is I so weird. I saw footage of that. And it was yeah. like, like 200,000 people. Right. So yeah. that channel, Access, mm. was running a whole bunch of stuff from it. And the police were there in like 1982. So they're at like their apex. Yeah. And it's just the three of them, and there's 300,000 people. And I'm like, this is amazing know. you know and they're like owning owning the stage but i didn't i was in you know on the east coast i didn't even know this festival was happening it was all the people i loved when i was growing up let's take a break to talk about ZipRecruiter. you've heard me talk about this on the pod having a high sports iq very important having a high music iq obviously very important as we're finding out with uh, our friend zane low right now when it comes to hiring 
You don't need a high hiring IQ. You need ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter, the Zane Lowe of, of hiring. Powerful technology scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience for your job. The tech doesn't stop there either. It even learns what kind of candidates you like and invites more to apply. It is so effective. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter to get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. How's that possible? My listeners, as you know, and you're a listener, can try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. That is ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, as always, the smartest way to hire. You mentioned 10 years ago, mm. um, you thought albums were dying then. Well, other people did. I've always tried to kind of hold the line, but it, it, it's definitely a debate. People get quite wound up by it. So where do we stand in 2019? It's still fine. I mean, like I said, I, I just want to make them. Like, I think really in a way being in streaming now allows people to pick and choose. It's it's like, okay, I'm gonna take that song, add it to a playlist. Because context is cool. Like, you know, you make playlists. People yeah. like context is was always cool. Making mixtapes was always cool. Love mixtapes. And and so it was always always about like, can I can I make a song sound even better by putting something left and right? or creating a little bit of space, or putting a bit of mood music after the fact, or how do I create content? If you really are like full nerdery, like we are, you know, but you know, so so really ultimately now being in a situation where there's so much more context to place around individual songs actually leaves the album to its own devices. It's like, just leave the album alone. Like stop talking about the album being dead. Without the album, you don't have the original context. Stop complaining, go and create your own context, but just let the artist make the album and stop whinging about it because, you know, Chances are you will listen to at least five albums start to finish a year if you're a music fan. Even if you think albums are dying, you'll still listen to five albums a year because you know there'll be five albums that you'll be just purely fascinated by. You can't sit there and tell me you didn't listen to Damn by Kendrick Lamar start to finish because yeah. it deserved your attention. Right. So if there's one album that deserved your attention, let everyone else have a crack at it. And if you don't like that album, just take the three songs you do like and make something new, right? I think things are better now. And I don't want to sound like the old guy on the couch. I do. Because I'm, yeah, I'm having the best time as a fan ever. I just remember, you know, especially in the 80s and CDs were like 16 bucks. Yeah. And you had this thing where he, my buddy Jim Grady and I, we always had this rule. One of my best friends from high school, it'd be like one song, I'm not buying the CD. Two songs, <laughs> maybe depending on what kind of mood I'm in and what's in my wallet. Three, definitely. Because if yeah. there's three that I already know are good, there's probably going to be two more like, yeah. And two is kind of the over under for, eh. And then you'd have the panic. Oh, I like that one song, and you'd get it, and there was just no other songs on it. Yeah, and, and I could just download it. And it was a hell of an investment. And then iTunes came in, and I remember the uproar when iTunes came in. So many people who were into the album as an art form were like, "How dare you? You know, give people a chance right. to circumnavigate the process." But it was great. It saved it. It saved everybody. I mean, think about the timing of it. And I always love this story because it's just. It's just such a beautiful timeline. So the music industry is so bloated at this point. Everybody knows it from yeah. fans through to everyone even in the industry it's knows. It's just not working. Music is overpriced. There's too much of it. The record stores are holding all the cards as to what gets featured and what doesn't. The record stores and the record labels are all just prioritizing whatever they think is going to move their margin and blah, 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 right? Classic case of business over bloated scenario. So you get to the end of the millennium and I think NSYNC put out that album, right? And it sold over 2 million copies in America alone in its first week. I mean, that is just ridiculous for the music yeah. industry. That is just like happy days, right? That was like mid-December 1999. Mid-January 2000, Napster starts. It's literally like, congratulations, you've got three weeks to celebrate, then we're going to start destroying <laughs> yeah. your we're entire industry. This. <laughs> literally going to start the decimation process. Right? Yeah. 
So, I mean, you know, and then that was like doomsday. And then iTunes came along and sort of bought, like built this, what I considered to be, I mean, I, I never felt like iTunes was a place to go and dive into the culture of music. But as far as distribution and a store was concerned and the way that it actually, you know, bought the idea of what the internet could do for music and that distribution into the modern age and linked it to the iPod, I just think it's like a superhuman feat. Like that is one of the greatest inventions in, in technology history. And it Agreed. saved the music business. And and ultimately we all benefited from it and loved it for so long. And, and you know, now we're in the streaming age. And I think as a music fan, you know, I, I really feel like it's the best time ever because I'll be in my car and I'll remember that I've always wanted to listen to an album or dive into an artist or, you know, God, I've never really given Jackson Brown much time. You know what mm. I mean? Let me dive in on, you know, fan favorite Jackson Brown deep cuts playlist or whatever and see if yeah. I like it. And you just can. Yeah, I remember like 04, I started, 03 or 04 with, with Apple. Mm the discovery factor mm. and it was just like watch sports and just search for songs. And it yeah. was so much fun. Cause up until that point, it was basically like Rolling Stone spin. Yeah. Those, those kind of magazines or a friend telling me, yeah. or I'm watching MTV. Like the way we found music was so dumb. <laughs> and then it's like, Oh, I'm actually in control of the process now. <laughs> I can look for my own songs. I was like, this is incredible. But I mean, try growing up in Auckland, New Zealand, not even having MTV. I mean, I remember right. our, our friends would send us videotape, like knockoffs of like yo MTV raps. And we just sit there and sort of watch Dr. Dre and Ed Lover tell us about Black Sheep or Pete Rock and Seal Smooth or house parties with Dre and Easy E and Fab Five Freddy. You've seen the footage of now on Defiant Ones and stuff. Back then we were just minds blown. Like, what is this? You know, and then you go into the local record store and you go into the rap section and the imports and spend every yeah. cent you What's had. What's this? What's that? Yeah. Just bought, bought it on the basis of the artwork. It was kind of cool and romantic in a way, but I'm long past, worry, you know, like like harking for that time. Like I, I'd much rather go to my phone and just dive in and just have this limitless experience. I am i can't tell you how many songs I've found just in... People talk college. Yeah, mm. it's valuable because you get an education. You learn how to like live on your own. The music is the underrated part of college where you're yeah. just walking by somebody's room and yeah. like, what's that? Yeah. What are you playing? Yeah. Oh, I'm doing that. Oh, what? Where? And I'm sure that still happens, which is great. But oh, I, definitely. I found so much music just from my friends in college. Well, I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's such a golden time in your life, right? Because that's when you're so open to finding people who share this kind of common interest that you have. And what are the things that you throw out there? You know, you throw out what's on the back of your letterman jacket or your sports jacket. <laughs> right, right. You know, you put a t-shirt on that tells you what you listen to, or you make sure that your headphones are just slightly off your ear when you're in the lecture so they can hear what you're listening to. Kyle, did you do all this? Oh, dude. Yeah. All those Kyle's little, into this right now. All those little tricks that you used to do because you'd sit next to someone you thought was cool and you kind of figured that they were into the same things that you were, but you didn't know how to bring up the conversation. So you just make sure that your Sony headphones but pre-beat will be slightly off your ear because then the sound would bleed through. And next thing you know, and it is literally like courting friends. Someone nudges you and goes, yo, is that Nirvana? You go, yeah, I love this band. And then bam, yeah. friendship formed. Right. You're away. You're off to the races, right? And, uh, and, and that's just like an amazing, in a way, I suppose what I've been trying to do my whole life is just hold on to that feeling of like wanting to just meet people through my passions and just oh, yeah. talking. I'm having that experience right now. My buddy House, one of my best friends in high, in college, freshman year, he was listening to Nirvana Bleach. 
and was he was early. listening to Fugazi. Oh yeah, and all this, yeah. and we made fun of him all the time. He had like purple hair. What was wrong with you? And we were like, "What the fuck is this music? What was like, wrong we're like, with Why you? aren't you listening to you too?" <laughs> you know, I was the guffy. What was your buddy's name again? Joe House. He was way ahead of his time. You know what, bro? He, uh, Joe, he was right. in the DC yeah, yeah, yeah. punk scene, like right. all that. Well, stuff. well, speaking to an erstwhile colleague to this day, he was absolutely right, and you guys were dicks. Well, so that's the thing. So <laughs> senior year, Nirvana takes off, and oh, you were just those guys. The fucking guys for Bleach. You were. These are the biggest band in the world. I just wanted to see you guys try to sidle up. Like, yo, this this, this device goes pretty cool. We did a 180 really quickly. We're like, House is right. This is fucking awesome. That happened to me with a lot of stuff. Like, I remember, like, to this day, I've still got friends who talk about the moment that, you know, things like Public Enemy landed. Because to them, they just didn't understand. Like, why are you listening to Yo Bum Rush the Show and this music? It's like from New York. And we're listening to, like, The Cure and other stuff. And I'm like, just I don't see a difference between the two. Like, The Cure moves me. This moves me. That moves me. And and I remember when, like, Nirvana happened. And and it was like, we were, we were, um, we were at a, at, a, at a sort of a camping site for New Year's Eve where you just go where you're at a certain point in your life and you just kind of spend three or four days singing in the New Year and you hang out with your friends and I suppose you try and make new friends, blah, 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 usual story, kind of a rite of passage. And we were down there and um, and I had a, a copy of Nirvana Nevermind on cassette and I just remember like every time I played it, someone would come and ask if they could borrow it. And then I was like, look, I, I don't want to give this tape up, but you can go make a, a copy of it and then you can share it. So right. everyone just shared it. And so, and then this is no exaggeration, Bill, like within three days, you couldn't walk in between a sort of tent or, or, or a, an environment where people were gathered, where they were drinking beer and putting, you know, around a fire in a chili bin where they weren't listening to that album. And that's when I, and I told this to John, who was their manager, who's a friend of mine now. I said, bro, I bootlegged the shit out of that album that Christmas. But you know what I learned is that, you know, even before the world had realized, like I saw in a microcosm what was going to happen globally. And that's really the first time I saw a hit in front of my eyes, like something I just went, if this is happening in this tiny, tiny little corner of the world yeah. over three days, it's gonna happen crazy. So when did you know you were into music for good as like a profession? I mean, as a profession, probably then. Like weirdly, that's when I sort of saw the value in taste and the value in sharing and how it felt to have bought something to even a group of 100, 200 people and seeing that that it had impact. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I kind of did that. Even though I didn't make the music, put the record out, make it happen, I was the one to introduce people to it. And I just liked how that felt. Where are you living at this point? You're still in, in New Auckland. Zealand? I was just in Auckland, yeah. I mean, I was just trying to be a rapper and make music and make beats. You trying to be a rapper? Oh, dude, we had, rap, yeah, we, we made albums and I produced rap records. I produced, you know, like I'm not, I'm not even going to like lie about it. I produced a, a song for a guy called Damn Native a group I should say called Damn Native, which is still considered amongst people who poll these kind of things as one of, if not the greatest New Zealand rap song ever. Certainly really? Certainly the top three, yeah. It's called Behold My Cool Star. So this is how our sons are getting started. There's hope for them. You're and very they, successful. Now I feel better about Ben Simmons. Come on, you are 100% in the room with that. They never had a chance, bro. <laughs> This is what we do. It's a narcissistic. We just think we're giving them an open opportunity to explore their lives. But really what we're doing is subliminally just driving them into our passions. <laughs> well, yeah. well, the, the key is... Isn't the, it parenthood? The key is your older son. Because he, yeah, yeah. he's actually going to be a real guy. I mean, he's only in seventh grade, but I'm just calling it now. Yeah. Like he already knows how to make beats and stuff. Yeah, we, played the, we played the song as the entry music for this podcast I know, times. I and the beats are like legitimately good he's like what is he 12 13 yeah, just turned 13 yeah so he's, yeah he's I mean, gonna be he'll he'll this is what he's going to do in life i would predict you know the deal bro you just you just want let's get into parenthood for a minute because that's a big part of the pod too like mm. you just you want your kids to find to ultimately find their their, their path and even if it's 
the first path out of multiple that they'll go through life. You want them to at any stage in their life, and there's no race, but to find something that you know they genuinely connect to. Yeah. Because it's such a search. The whole thing is such a journey. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done and you're 99.9 and you die of old age and a peaceful life and it's all wonderful, you just think about the whole ride, right? You're not going to think about like what you've achieved. You'll just be like, wow, all the experiences were amazing. And so I just really want them to kind of find those experiences and just keep searching. And for Jackson, I'm just really happy. And Lucci's getting there too, you know, where they're just – you know, they just dialed in. Like, Lucci loves fashion and sports and rap, and Jackson just loves <laughs> He's a making character. music. Yeah. yeah. I mean, him and your your son are like such a, and I, their whole gang, actually. It's indescribable. Their whole group of people, it's like they are the Stranger Things kids, and it's just, <laughs> they just really are. You know, and it's just, it's funny watching them just gravitate towards one another and um, drive each other's passions and drive each other's interests. And 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 each of them brings something unique to the table. So, um, you know. Well, we, we have the same. <laughs> I think one of the reasons our kids get along so well is we have the same parenting kind of strategies, which mm-hmm. is just like, just do, go gravitate toward the things you care about. Just be a kid. We're not getting in your way. Just be a kid. Just be I'm a kid. I'm not forcing you to do anything. Yeah, do your thing. Just drive through life with a strong moral compass and, you know, learn the valuable lessons and and you have to relearn the ones that are kind of half valuable because we all have to learn those yeah. again and again and again and, um, and, and avoid having to learn the hard lessons more than once, you know? Yeah, with Ben, I think I have sixty percent chance he's living at home till he's forty-five. <laughs> yeah, but you know, secretly, forty percent chance. Yeah, he's a fun hang. He's It'd such a great. rad dude. Like, even if that was the case, he'd be like, "This is great." Forty percent. Yeah, he'd probably have some secret exit entrance to his bedroom and all that stuff. Forty percent chance things work. He's out, a charisma on your kid for sure. He uh, is your younger son starting to lie yet, trying to pull off lies. Oh, he's been trying to pull that off for because Ben's years. getting so le- recently. Ben's upstairs. He calls. This is now a new episode of Parent Corner. Mm. Ben's upstairs. He calls my wife. Mom, can you come up here for a second? Wait, on the phone or did he call no, down? No, yells down. Okay. Can you come up here for a second? He's standing at the top of the stairs. So she starts walking up the stairs and he kind of drops his phone. Inten- <sighs> it seems intentionally, but as he drops his phone, he goes, oh, no. And he picks up the phone. It's like, oh, my God, the screen. But he's such a bad actor. It's like my wife sits like, wait a second, what's going on? And his screen's broken. And it turns out, you know, she's like, did you break your phone before this? Hours ago. And his anytime he's really lying, his his lower jaw starts moving he around. gurning? Yeah, sure. He's, he's like, like, no, no, I didn't, I didn't break it. And his jaw's flying around. So she's like, I know it. So he immediately breaks and he admits he was playing Fortnite on his phone. Got killed and threw his phone. Yeah. So now the screen breaks, but tried to pull off this elaborate drop the phone thing. But in three years, he's going to be really good at this. Yeah. Like he's I mean, a bad liar now, but in three years, he'll be a practice, good liar. With enough yeah. practice, you can you can conquer anything. I. It's not something I want my kids to practice. Uh, you know, <laughs> I would I, hope that. I, from my point of view, you know, look. Okay, this is where I have to kind of throw myself up as the as a friend mm. of mine said to me once when I became a parent. He's like, there's two kinds of dads. You know, there's, there's, the, there's the good dad and there's the dick dad. Yeah. Now, there's going to be times when you're going to be both, but just try to limit the amount of times you're a dick dad. You like, use the dick dad card. Yeah, and I had to be a bit of a dick. Sometimes you have to be a bit of a dick dad and just kind of go. And one of the areas that really drives me into an area where I, I you know, I, I probably reach, you know, that level is is the lying. Like, I don't know. I'm like that old school parent. Like, if you lie to me, like, that's like, dude, like, Dude, yeah. you can tell me anything and I'll navigate it with you. Like I'm 100% beside you every step of the way throughout your life. When you need me, I'm here. But lie to me? Why? How am I supposed to deal with that? What is the jump off here? Where is the common ground here? I can see you can hear the dickness coming out now just the way I'm talking No, but this is, this is the right instinct. 
I thousand percent agree. Yeah. The good thing with our kids now is you when my they wife lie, said, we're going to catch them. Yeah, but you know what my wife says, and she's going to come in for saying this. My wife is like, just get better at it. <laughs> <laughs> so between the two of us, we're just a, we're the most beautiful, loving mixed message crew of all time. But it's do great. people expect your kids to be like music? oriented kids because of what you do for a living? Because I know like with me, people just assume my son's going to be in all these different sports and stuff, but mm. he's, he's really, he likes baseball and that's it. Mm, mm, mm. It's really good at all of them though. But um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, probably quietly. I, it's not something that would volunteer to me too often. They're not going to be like, of course your son's into music, but they are into music. So it's not yeah. like it, 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 it doesn't even really get to the awkward stage because the kids, you know, they're so open about their love of music and you know, of course that, you know, we played a lot of it and it, I've always been very open about playing, you know, all kinds of music in the house. So, you know. So that's just like be, be that they sponge it up. They just sponged it up. But I mean, they're taking it to, to places now that I certainly don't feel like I've had a hand in. Like I, yeah. I never once kind of thrust a computer under Jackson's nose and said, make beats, you know, and I never once said to Lucci, you know, go and find me the next Juice World. But he's already coming to me like, hey, check this kid out. He's unpublished. Right. <laughs> you know, like you should get on him early and get him into Apple Music and da da. So they, they're thinking. Oh, that's hilarious. He's like an unpaid scout for you. Kind of, yeah. And so they're thinking in an invested way. And I never really forced the investment on them. I just kind of put the music in front of them. But I really feel this. You know, I looked at Jackson on the birthing table when he was born, and he's exactly who he is to this day. Yeah. Like he's growing in a beautiful way. I'm proud of both of our kids. But. His actual the essence of who he is as a human being was right there on his face when he came out. Like, I saw who he was as a human being. And so ultimately, they sort of come out and then, you know, you want to you want to guide them and be as, as supportive and as great a parent as you possibly can. But equally, to some degree, they're going to lean the way they're going to lean. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I, uh, I think it's funny. You have the two sons. And I have the girl first and then the son and the dynamic of that where they're just like this old married couple. They are. And it's just hilarious. And I don't know. How is, she, her, around, how is she around Ben? Because obviously she must be super protective. Oh, they love each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, it's, I think it can go wrong the other way when you have the older son and the younger daughter and right. then the dynamic screwed up. But the older daughter is always going to be paternal toward the younger son and I know it's just going to keep going forever. The two boys can be like It's tougher when you two for two boys because of course first through the war bloody and bruised, right? So right. You, you know you, you the first one battle kind uh, of well, the first one through learns all the hard lessons so the youngest can come through and try to tell terrible lies, right? right. And so <laughs> and so you know when you when but when, I think when you when you're a, when you're you know the other daughter there's a sense of maturity and a sense of responsibility based on the conversations I've had with my wife because she has two sisters. So there's three daughters in her family. Yeah. Um who from her parents point of view and um that's got to be hilarious. I think there was, yeah. And the I think, three daughters is always like a, it's yeah. like a dramedy. It's not a sitcom. It's a dramedy. Yeah. We grew up around all those girls as well. So, cause <laughs> they were from Auckland. So I mean, there's the stories, but I mean, you know, I think, uh, I, I think that there's a sense of maturity and responsibility that somewhat comes with being eldest, that, that, that the eldest son resents sometimes and the eldest daughter accepts. Yeah. And so there's probably a feeling from Zoe's point of view of like, you know, well, this is the gig and I'm going to take on this gig in a righteous way. Whereas Jackson's just sometimes, why do I always get yelled at? <laughs> right. Why don't you, like, what's up with Lucci? He gets away with anything, this kid, you know? Yeah, Zoe wouldn't even apply to an all-girls school for high school because she's like, Ben has to come to the school I'm going to. That's cool, man. She wants That's to look cool. out yeah, for Yeah, I'm stoked. I mean, our kids get on really well as well. They have their moments, man. They are high comedy. Yeah. We can talk about this all day. Let's take one more break to talk about Luminary. They just launched a bunch of great original shows you can only find on their platform, including one that is beloved 
in the Ringer family, the Rewatchables. We spun off the Rewatchables for a special limited edition series called Rewatchables 1999, dissecting some of the most iconic movies from 1999. Some of them, I got to say, weren't that iconic. American Pie, super enjoyable. I wouldn't call it iconic. Other ones are. Uh, we did Notting Hill this week. Julia Lemon and Amanda Dobbins broke that one down. Chris Ryan, Sean Fennison, and I, we're doing The Insider. Michael Mann, you know how we feel about Michael Mann. That's coming on next week on The Rewatchables 1999. We break down each movie with highly specific categories and we analyze it from every possible angle, most rewatchable scene, who won the movie. Could this be made into a Netflix series in 2019, the overacting award, all that stuff. Plus a couple categories we put in there that are 1999 specific so check that out. The Luminary app is free to download. Use it to listen to thousands of podcasts, including the ones you love like this one. Uh, they have a great app, easy to use interface, personalized content recommendations, movies, music, sports, comedy, plus all the original podcasts they have as well, including a new one from Omari Hardwick. But they have a lot of good ones there. Get your first two months of access to Luminary's premium content for free when you sign up at luminary.link slash rewatch. After that, it is $7.99 per month luminary.link slash rewatch two months of free access cancel anytime terms do apply and since we're talking about podcasts don't forget the watch on monday breaking down game of thrones right after and then binge mode coming up later in the week the final episode ever and you can watch our our uh, game of thrones episode hashtag talk the thrones mallory jason chris ryan that is happening all right back to zane low can you give the background on uh, how the Apple thing happened? You're just yeah, you're just you're doing your thing. Yeah, it's great. I you mean, you get like, a call. What ha- like walk me through it. So I'm at Radio One, and and I've sort of got a sense within sort of two years of the call, two years prior around that time, I got a sense that that, that people's listening habits were shifting, and at radio, being kind of the the only entry shifting point. shifting to the to streaming. Yes, yeah, well, just shifting to on demand. AOD, yeah. VOD. You know, the, if you come home from school and you have a limited window of time to enjoy your entertainment after homework and before you have to get ready for bed, you either can dial in at a time I'm asking you to dial into, or you can just record it and watch it later. Right. Right? So if that's going to happen in video, which it already is, of course that's going to happen for music, especially as streaming starts to become the thing. It's like, well, I'll just listen to the album when I have time. I don't have to structure my day necessarily around this pre-designed time slot. Yeah. I knew there was a window where that was still going to matter. And I'm not saying radio doesn't matter. It's still the most effective voice for any local city, town, community, or country. It's an incredibly important satellite and radar for what's moving the needle in your community. But in terms of its role in music, which is my primary passion, to move the needle, I just felt like, excuse me, this beautiful window where I'd held the records before they came out played them, one of the few people who had them play them, sort of ushered in this really amazing audience of passionate music fans who trusted me and wanted to hear this music. And up front, <clears throat> it was running its course and I felt that. And um, so I sort of put this two-step plan together. One was to sort of turn the boat around, get my ratings up, leave on a high note because I figured whatever move you're going to make next, you want to leave on a good footing rather than a yeah. back foot. So we did that. <clears throat> and then just as sort of the conversation turned from, hey, your ratings are bombing, to, hey, you turn this around, congratulations, great. Let's talk about your future. I got the call. So it was perfect. Like the fu- like the crossover was just perfect. And, so you had uh, leverage. I had leverage. Yeah. And, 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 but also I knew that I, what I'd learned that two years of, of turning it around just 
further qualify what I believed, which was it's going into the hands of the fan and getting away from the gatekeepers. And, and the you, tastemakers. And the tastemakers. And if you want to continue to to explore and 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 you know your taste and add value to the experience, you're gonna have to start having a different conversation than the one I was having, which was very one-sided. I would tell the audience what was here, tell them what I had, tell them when it was coming. It was all me, 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 or whoever else was the DJ. By me, I mean any of us who were the gatekeepers. Yeah. Then it's like, wait a minute, everyone's going to start curating. Like, don't use the C word around me anymore. You're going to have to use that around everybody because everyone's got the phone. Everyone's got the shareability. Everyone's got the playlisting capacity. Everyone's got the AOD, the VOD. It's just like it's gone. Right. So get with the program. And and luckily, you know, Apple called me and were like, hey, um, we think things are changing. And I was like, you're preaching to the choir. So what was the original plan compared to what it is now. The original plan was to just kind of just try to shove the, the, the circle of radio into the square of streaming services and and bring- And curate a bunch of people that you like and- Well, that was kind of like came from us because uh, well, look, look, Trent and Jimmy and 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 you know, Larry, Eddie, Robert, um, you know, uh, these, these individuals, you know, Elizabeth who worked for Robert, they sort of came to us and sort of said, hey, look, you know, you've done this over at Radio 1 we want we want voices jimmy was like i want storytelling i want the, the culture of 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 the art to to, to come for along for the right because it's just remember streaming is a, is a very effective utility but everyone has kind of the same amount of songs yeah and everyone kind of can do the same thing with the songs right so eventually you just got to pick which one you think looks or sounds the best so what's going to be a differentiator and they just banked on this and so they brought me in and then they were like but we don't really know what it needs to be that's up to you and so that's when i started to take more of a creative director role and then we decided oh Let's give a majority of the real estate to the artists because from, from me and my friends who are making it point of view, it was one of the last frontiers that hadn't truly been explored outside of promotion. Yeah. And artists hate doing promotion. Right. It's like the talking about music, that's not why I do it. So, okay, rather than just go down the same old promo route, why don't you go and take that time and you do something creative with it because you don't seem to complain about making merch or designing a stage set, or doing your track listing, or your artwork, or any of the other extensions of your creative self. So why would making some kind of radio show be any different? And once a few people worked that out, like Pharrell got it immediately, Q-Tip got it immediately, Jenny Beth got it, I mean, um, St. Vincent got it immediately. You know, these artists were like, oh, I like this. This is just another creative exercise. Then the whole thing started to land, and then it just kind of took on a life of its own. I remember like in the mid-2000s, Apple started doing celebrity playlists. Right. Yeah. And they had this whole page for them and like 90% of them were terrible, but then occasionally some celebrity would have like this incredible playlist. And you know why? Because like, they this cared. Person, I want to be friends with this person. Because well, the terrible I love ones all were, of these songs. Yeah, the terrible ones were done by their assistant and the good yeah. ones were done by them. And that was what the most important thing was. If you're going to do this with us, you've got to be invested. Like don't just do it because we've offered you the gig. Yeah. Right. Do it because you recognize the value in it. And so four years on, you know, and we're in a situation where, you know, I don't even know what I'm allowed to say or not say, but I mean, we've got a whole s new run of shows coming out in the summer and in the fall. Some of our biggest artists yet who are teaming yeah. up new shows for us. So if the thing had a shelf life and wasn't going to connect, it would have long gone by now. So artists see it now as, as a chance to sort of 
really just build their own real estate and explore their own voice and and and, and control the way that they present their music because that's the thing that really is the mo- is the biggest change now is that the distribution is in the hands of the artist it's no longer just in the hands of the high street or the record label these are all important factors but the artist can ultimately decide how and when the music comes i just got off a phone call with a manager on my way here and he's like yeah we're bringing the song out tomorrow and i'm like yeah, but you know, it's busy tomorrow. He's like, yeah, we've made up our mind. We're just going to put the song out tomorrow. What can you do? And I'm like, all right, well, we'll rally around you. Of course we love you. We'll do whatever we can to support that. But this is my point. Like it's fluid all the time now. Yeah. And it's exciting. It's sometimes it can be hair raising and you're not quite sure how you're going to get everything in line, but it's, it's way better than looking back on it now than it was before. And I had a good before. I was one of the people who had the records. Right. I'm amazed that I, that, we, we did that as long as we did. Like, it's crazy to think now that you had to just listen to my show at 7 p.m. in the UK to hear these songs. Like, it's nuts. Well, I got a taste of what it's like to influence people musically when Yacht Rock, yeah. on, on Sirius <laughs> XM. Yacht Rock, by the way. Sirius XM, they asked me to DJ an hour, and it was one of the highlights of my career. What did I, you play? What was I like, picked 13 songs. I gave Davis? my whole theory. Christopher Cross? Oh, I, I, come on. Which one, though? Come on. Sailing. No, we did... Uh, Ride Like the Wind. Where did Rad Like the Wind? Because Kenny Loggins is on that one. Oh, it's so good, that song. One of my Yacht Rock theories. And Michael McDonald as well is on that one. Well, that's one of my Yacht Rock theories, is that Michael McDonald has to be every three songs somehow. I met him the other day for the first time. Legend. Oh, my God. I shit the bed. Legend. All-timer. That was crazy. I watch one of my guilty pleasures is I like to watch bad music documentaries on Axis. (laughs) Axis has a lot of bad music documentaries. Can you recommend a few? Well, no. I just like watching them because a lot of times the band produces them. And it's like done by somebody's cousin and the editing's terrible, but they have all this footage and it's like, it's wow. So, so anyway, there's this Doobie Brothers one that I, that is on a lot mm. that is hilarious. And it's kind of done from, from the perspective of if only Michael McDonald hadn't come along, this would have gone so much better. <laughs> and they have this one guy that comes in and he's like the expert of the Doobie Brothers. Is it getting hot in here, by the way? Oh, I'm just having a great time. Go um, he, there's this one guy and he clearly resents Michael McDonald. And he's like, yeah, you know, at the minute by minute album, you know, that was just, that took the band in a direction. I don't think anybody <laughs> wanted to go. And it's like, they won Grammys. What are you talking what about? What band are you talking about? And then it's, and then they have this comeback album. I really after, think Phil Collins joining Genesis was a terrible move. You know it's so I mean? good. I highly recommend it. But uh, I just, I love, I love all that stuff. So anyway, back to Michael McDonald. Mm. I mean, you can't have Yacht Rock without Michael McDonald. No, He's, I, he is just a shadow over all the Yacht Rock. What is it about Michael McDonald that really kind of correctly defines the Yacht Rock era? Like, what is it? Is it his voice? Is it the songwriting? Is it the phrasing? I mean, I have your answers Go if ahead. you want them. Please. Number one, um, you can see him on a yacht. Oh, definitely. You can definitely see him like with a glass of like Chardonnay, mm. like hitting on your girlfriend. I feel like he eternally had silver hair as well. Like eternally. Yeah. Like he yeah, grayed yeah. young. 70s, there was this one stretch where it was pretty dark and then boom, it flipped. Just, yeah. But the big thing is all his songs are about like these two women that just destroyed him emotionally. <laughs> and that's the kind of stuff you would talk about on a yacht after like four drinks. Like, hey, yeah. what happened to Becky? Yeah. Well, it didn't go that well. <laughs> I keep forgetting we're not in love well. anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> minute by minute, I'm holding on, but and then uh, I don't know. So he just fits. Well, he, he fits just, that era. The thing about yacht rock as well is, in many respects, it was kind of a precursor to Jam and Lewis, and and what they achieved, and ultimately what house music went on to achieve, and other certain genres of music and styles and artists and producers, where they put heartbreak on the dance floor. So you would find yourself dancing to these songs that were super chirpy, yeah. But then you know the sentiment, like you say, is just this like take my heart out and stomp on it right. with your boat shoes, it, like, or, it's like, or let's have a glass of wine. Let's well, let's have a glass of wine and. <laughs> Then, <laughs> then I'm going to tell you later. And then I'll put my boat shoes away and then we'll talk about how my heart got broken. So I this. took my wife to Yacht Rock at the Hollywood Bowl last summer in uh, like July. And it was Christopher Cross, Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald. Unbelievable. And there were people dressed like yacht captains. It was out of control. <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah. It's a thing. And you know what those, but some of those records sound so good. Cause I feel like that was really on the, the dawn of high fidelity. So also it was like, it, it sounded so good. People rejected it. They were like, this isn't rock and roll. It sounds too good. And now it's like music is just striving for that sonic quality all the time. Right? Yeah. The Doobie brothers are fascinating because they had this old school classic rock sound. Mm. And then they bring in McDonald, who is like one of like the comets of that whole era from like a songwriting, just melody standpoint. Mm. And they just kind of cram these two different things together that make no sense. But they really did figure it out for a couple of years. Without a so, doubt. So they had this farewell concert. I was in a drugstore once in like 1986. And there was this, they, they were selling those cassettes for like a dollar. Yeah. And it was like the Doobie Brothers farewell tour. And I'm like, what? And I got oh, this it was cassette. A it, was it was a bootleg. Yeah. And it was this concert they did in like San Diego and it had all their songs on it. And it was Terribly like my recorded. favorite cassette. Yeah. yeah. And I listened to it so much that I gave it to my friend Jeff for Christmas. I was like, I want you to have this now. I've had a great eight years with this. Now you take it. That's a sweet thing but to do. It, uh, I, yeah, I mean, there, my, my there first, was something. My first bootleg experience was a weird U2 concert around the war era. Ooh. And I didn't even know what- Now you, you're talking my language. And I didn't even know what you, like bootleg was. I just saw this cassette like yourself at this record store in, in, in Queen Street. And it just, I'd never seen it before. And it like was them live. And I got excited. I took it home. And it was just the, the sing, like the trashiest recording of any, like you could barely make it out. And I remember I, I, I got my mom to take me back to the store. And I was like, I want to return this. And the, the guy yeah. looked at me, he's like, you don't really you get the point this of this is illegal right? contraband. Like, I can't buy this back off you right now. This is your rap. Like you bought this. Right. And, you know, if Bono comes searching for this bootleg, it's on you. <laughs> like I'm not taking it off your hands. There was a whole bootleg CD scene for like six years there in the 90s because there was this place in Kenmore Square in Boston mm. that used to sell them. And I would go every week because like just randomly. Like a stall. Yeah, just randomly there. It was a, it was a record store, but they had this one section in the right, back, right. and you, you almost like they weren't like advertising. Like a nudge, nudge, wink, wink kind of. And thing. it would be like Nirvana in Amsterdam, nineteen ninety two. It's he's crazy. Like, I'm taking this. So I had all these bootlegs, and somebody broke into my car and took all my CDs, and they took like my twenty seven best bootlegs. Oh, that's heartbreaking. And it was honestly like that's heartbreaking. Just, just you can get all the other shit. my throat next you time. Can get, you can get yeah. all the other shit. Like, could you just kill me? I, I don't want to live anywhere. I just think it's really funny how, like, you know, the, like the war on piracy, the war on bootlegs. It was such a real thing. Like, do not let them bootleg these albums. And little did they know that bootlegs were the least of their problems. Like, yeah, seriously. Like bootlegs sound romantic now. Like I think if most artists saw a bootlegger on the street, they'd be like. Like, thanks. Appreciate right, seriously. Appreciate the control promotion. Well, and then especially like with YouTube, YouTube is basically a constant bootleg. Anybody's in concert. There's just somebody with an iPhone filming them from nine different angles. Yeah. And I don't know that like I watched the Beyonce documentary. I thought it was fine. You talking um, about the homecoming one? The one that was on Netflix. It yeah. was fine. It was well done. 
But I could also go on YouTube and watch the performance. So it's like, at it's, that point. It's funny though, because when you're talking about artists like Beyonce and the kind of quality that she puts into her performances and what's so amazing about her as we all know, and it's why it's like, it's a globally established fact, like I think 97.3% of all humans agree with this point. Yeah. That, you know, when it comes to performance and, and commitment and perfection and just natural talent, like Beyonce is just the goat, right? She's the greatest of all time right now. And, and so when you think about what she puts into this and she never rests in her laurels, like, you can see why she wants to come out a year later and say, that's all good. You've had your fun online, but this is what it's supposed to look like and supposed to feel like. Because again, for her- So you liked it more than I did. I, I thought it was fantastic because I wasn't there. So yeah. I didn't see the show and I heard about it and I heard that it was so mind blowing. People were just sort of aghast. No one knew how to take it in because it was such an assault on the senses. Yeah. And I watched it and I felt the same way. And I mean, Beyonce is different, but I know what you mean. Like it, it, it's kind of- I just feel like there was a magic this now I'm doing old guy on the couch again, but this time it's legit. YouTube, <laughs> YouTube lifted the curtain a little bit on what it's like to see people live. Because yeah, in the eighties and nineties and even early two thousands, you know, you either listened to a band, you saw their video, you might have seen them on like Jim, uh, not Jimmy Fallon, Conan O'Brien or yeah, SNL yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Or you saw them live, and when you saw them live, it really meant something because it's like these people are in my town. I'm going to go see them. The only thing that I think is kind of, and this is me now, old guy on the couch, but this is also very legit, is that um, I, I sort of feel, and I'm all for it. Like, I mean, I filmed things at concerts. You know, I got my phone out during Billie Eilish. You think I wasn't capturing that? It was amazing. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I sort of feel like there was a moment in time and, and kids won't really recognize this where you weren't, you know, you, you only had word of mouth, especially if you were isolated and you weren't in the major cities or major countries in the world. When Nirvana came to Auckland, I had no idea what they played, what they started with, what to expect. And they started, you know, I, I never forget that concert. I mean, I never forget the first Beastie Boys concert, the way that the lights went down and, you know, out, out, you know, on came, you know, the biz, you know, the, the, the Nugent biz thing, the Beastie Boys, they yeah. are coming home. And they went straight into let it flow, let yourself <laughs> go, came flying outside the stage. Now, if I'd seen that tour, because it had been through Australasia and Japan prior on YouTube, I kind of would have known, chances are they'll start with slow and low and a little bit of that anticipation and excitement might have gone. And so I think you just have to do it like appropriately because sometimes I just want to go to a gig and not know what to expect. Right, I agree. I don't like the whole, here's the set list they've played every night. Unless it's Yacht Rock at the Bowl, you know exactly what to expect. Well, that's, I need to know ahead Who of time. Who came on and played first? How do you even flip a coin on that? Christopher Cross came out, was very available. Right, like the win? Straight away? Don't act no, like you he, don't remember he eased the first into song. it. He eased into it. He right. played the theme from Arthur. He did the, he, I, don't oh, I love that. that. Yeah. I'm going with that. He actually had some good songs. Uh, he seems sad, though. Uh -huh. he, he had to look like- Why? He won was, 12 Grammys. On well, the year that Pink Floyd, like, Dark Side of the Moon was nominated, or The Wall or something. Well, the one that, that killed the Grammys was Toto that year. Oh, yeah. When they won right. the four. Yeah. And by the way, Africa's a really good song. It's kind of defensible. Now, Toto are amazing. Africa's amazing. Toto are amazing, but did they, Rosanna, incredible, but did they yeah. have, are they a yacht rock band? Um, Hang on, great is, question. I haven't got headphones on, I'm leaning in. Great question. This is really a question for the ages, and I'd like to pose this to all of the erstwhile millions of people who, you know, check out this pod. Are Toto a yacht rock band? Great question. Not a yacht rock band, but have a couple yacht rock <laughs> great songs. Great question. No. No. They, they have a couple yacht rock songs. Right. I don't consider them in the yacht rock, in the, yacht rock in the official. I feel like they were poppy too. Like there's some balance. There's yeah. some some OG yacht rock bands. I mean, I'm just saying like back in the 80s, I got myself a nice little a nice little spritzer. I'm on the boat. I'm sitting there. I take my boat shoes off. You put a little toto on? Put on my jeans. I put a little toto yeah, I'll on. I'll talk to the committee about it. Bring it up next week and see what the team thinks. 
So cross, I like the idea of an ongoing thread as well that I can introduce to this podcast because no one wants their legacy to die. And so I want it to- It sounds like we need to do a Yacht Rock thing. If you're inviting me back, bro, just just, just It say, sounds like we just need to do like two hours of Yacht Rock. Just say when and then I'll chase you for five months and I'll see you then. <laughs> so Christopher Cross was first, Logan second. Of course, McDonald comes Looked, up there. Logan's great, tight, like had some, like definitely had like Botoxed it up right before. It awesome. <laughs> Yeah, like he's like over 70 now. It's great life. Yeah, but you know who won Famous that? Famous in the 80s. But you know who wins that race hands down? I went to the Gabriel Sting concert where they traded songs back and forth. That was oh, wow. Matt at the bowl. And Sting is like, I mean, that guy's just jacked. Yeah. Oh, he's he is? jacked. Like, it's like ridiculous. Think some HGH maybe? I just, I think it's transcendental meditation, hardcore yoga. Oh, the tantric sex? Yeah. yeah. So he's I, just glowing. I think he's, yeah. I mean, the dude was literally floating at one point. I actually was mad I didn't. Peter Gabriel did like the 30th anniversary or so. He was amazing that night, not to rub it in. But yeah, no, I, everyone said, like, this is incredible. And I yeah. was like, I was so mad I didn't go. I have a buddy of mine, Nathan Hubbard, who we always, he's the one I text when stuff like this happens. And I was like, how are we not there? Yeah. What were we doing? I mean, I've had a few regrets like that on concert levels. I mean, I remember one time my wife and I were just too tired to go to Gangstar. And I've always regretted that because then, of course, Guru passed away. It was like the Astoria, too. The Astoria in London, no longer there. Guru, sadly, no longer around. Just like that. You just, what were you thinking, you dick? Just get on the tube and go to the gig. You know, my wife and I went to this 1998 Pearl Jam show. Oh, I love that, that is you now love Pearl Jam so much. In I Massachusetts, that is now considered one of their three best shows ever. What did they start with? I don't remember what they started or finished with because I, I might have, might have. Uh, been at the bar? Yeah, I, you know, I might have been handed a couple things, <laughs> passed around. Right. Um, but Eddie got mad at one point because somebody threw something on the stage and he right. yelled at the crowd and threatened to quit. To quit the show and was right. going to walk off and then came Is that back. a TV studio, yeah, Josh? He was, he was so mad and then just took it out on the rest of the concert and was like, had so much Punk. intensity and mm. it was just like, it was like, you know, right when we've talked about this, I was talking about this with Kevin Clark and Robert Mays from The Ringer about when's the perfect time to see a band. Mm. Like just, if you're looking at their career and you go back and you're like, just you're taking a pin. You're going right there mm. or a dart right there. That's it. That's the year. And I always feel like it could go one of two ways. You'd either want to see them early, you know, like I, I you too, I would have with the under the red, red blood sky that yeah, I would have wanted to see yeah. them right then yeah. over any other time. Yeah. But like sometimes when they have a little more of a catalog and they're at the peak of their powers, that's a good time too. And like Pearl Jam yeah. 98 was like the time. I think that's the time. I think, I think if you're talking I'm trying to think what albums you're talking about. Is that Backspacer or is it before Backspacer? It's sort of like Vitalogy was like 94, right? And then you sort of got one or two albums after that. It's pretty- Yeah, they had Tanae versus they had Vitalogy. They had, uh, then there was two Vitalogy. more after no that. No Code. Yeah, No Code. So was, yeah. And but they had, at that point, they had, I think Given to Fly was already up, but they just had like 20 the songs that you were fired up for. That's the time. I feel like that's the time. I, I think you're right. I mean, so I have this really, really sort of like sad Pearl Jam kind of, I've got amazing Pearl Jam stories. Yeah. But I've also got this kind of ongoing sad thread throughout these amazing moments where I'm never around when they play these amazing shows. They'll come and they'll do some stadium show and I'm always away. They'll do like a fan show. I'm always away. Yeah. Like I, have, I, I can probably think of four or five moments that my friends went have been to to see Pearl Jam. They just talk about them still to this day, like these hallowed shows and I've always never been there. And so it's getting to a point now you know, where, and I don't think Paul Jim are going anywhere, thankfully, but I have to go and see them somewhere special. Like right. I have to go to, you know, Wrigley Field or somewhere just to have that experience. Do you know what I mean? Because I've missed so many of these sort of landmark shows and they, they like they've had a fair share of landmark shows. Oh yeah. 
My first concert ever was Bob Seger, 1980. Sick. But my second concert was Bruce Springsteen, also 1980. Sick. Mine was Kiss, and then George Benson. Fantastic. And then George Benson. That's pretty. That's pretty deep. Springsteen did like four encores though, so I just thought that's what happened at a concert. <laughs> he set the bar so high. It was like high. three and a half hours and four <laughs> encores. Musicians have been tripping over that bar for decades to come. You know what I mean? I'm like, wait. So the, whatever the next one is, it was like two hours, and they just left. It's like, what happened? Wow, I this thought- Tom Petty guy really shortchanged me tonight. You know what I mean? Uh, we should do Thrones. Let's hit it. All right, now's the time in the pod. We can turn it off, and yep. then we're gonna do Thrones. Yeah. All right, so we got one show left. Yeah. By the way, thanks for, I mean, Mallory and Jason, What I mean, talk about two wonderful human beings, incredibly gracious to me and allowing me to like like vomit my ridiculously half-baked theories. They love coming on, so it's it's definitely, they're uh, great, but they're I'm so, glad. They're so deep in it. Like it, it really is like sort of going up to your, you know, to your, to your sort of professor after class and kind of trying to get one over and this is like, yeah, cool, thanks. That's what we do on the Sunday nights we do on this podcast, we play Throne Game because mm-hmm. I'm like, Dumbass Thrones fan. Me too. And I can barely remember anybody's names and I just go through and we just talk about it like whatever. I mean, so yeah, I guess a, we can do that now. There's, well, I mean, we're in the same game because there's a pool going at work right now um, and there's like a whole bunch of people that got in it, like 15, 20 people that got in it and it was a whole criteria like everyone's done it, like who's going to live, who's going to die, who's going to become a white walker, who's going to this, blah, 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 blah. I am stone cold second to last. So, and I came in so confident, like, oh, I got this, you know. And my boss, my new boss actually sent an email out. I'm sure I'm not betraying any trust. Yesterday on the thread saying, he sent an email and then he followed up with his email with another email specifically just to say, by the way, Zane, lol, slap hand emoji. Like, I'm just uh, failing this game he's terribly. He's like trolling you. Yeah, trolling me. My boss is Jesus. trolling me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you think happens? Who wins the Iron Throne? I think Daenerys- Did you is- take notes? What did, why'd you put glasses on? Did you write stuff down? What's happening right <laughs> no, now? No, because I, you know, this is serious. Like the music okay. thing is easy for me. I can, I'm so blind. I can like stare off into space. I don't even know who I'm talking to for the last hour and a half. Yeah. It gets down to Thrones. And Thrones, you gotta, yeah, you don't want to screw up. It's like, I put, have to put glasses on for this conversation. Right. Um, it's like a Tool album. You have to wear reading glasses to enjoy it. You know what I mean? I love Tool, but you've really got to absorb. You know? I get it. Um, I think Daenerys is for the chop, obviously. But I've been saying that for weeks. I just thought it would happen sooner. I think she'll die at the hand of a Stark. I think John will be so heartbroken. It may even be John that I think John won't take the throne. I think he's always said he doesn't want it. I think he'll be so heartbroken that Daenerys dies for one reason or another. He'll ultimately abdicate his abdicate his right to the throne. Just work as a bartender? Yeah, I think he'll just basically go and work in a sports bar somewhere and just be like, <laughs> every now and then people will come in, he'll be all fat and stuff and he'll just have a big beard and then someone will be sports like, bar. tell us a story about Ned Stark. Who, My father was the most honorable man who ever lived. You can't tell me that's a well-poured pint of stuff. Um, I think Sansa. That's who I think too. So think she's Sansa. definitely not getting it because we don't know anything. I, yeah, I know she's definitely not. But I, I, I think she is because I'm sticking to my theory. I just think that she's. Um, I think I think the throne will ultimately reside in the north because when Daenerys goes, no one else. It, it will go to the north. I don't think Arya wants it. Arya might not survive. I don't think John will take it because Daenerys. He'll just be heartbroken because you remember John brought this on. Yeah, a lot of what's going on with Daenerys kind of rests with John. John's True. been a bit of a dick. 
Hey, like, listen, don't trust don't trust your sisters. They're definitely going to tell other people. He knew they were. If your sisters don't like who you're dating, they're they not going to be like, let me just put this in my pocket. And he was even a dick. He was like, Sid to Brand, you tell him. You know, like, come on, man. Brand's like, are you serious, bro? I can see through time. You want me yeah. to tell him this little detail? Come on, bro. Why don't you ask me about the meaning of life? What happened 400 years ago? Why are you asking? Come on. So I think I think that Sansa has has <laughs> served at the, she served at, um, uh, at the at the very unsavory side of many many dark people in power, and I think that power you learn from power. You learn from the dark side. Let of me power. go here, Cersei two point You don't think she's dead? Oh, you mean Sansa Cersei two point Maybe not the sex with her brother part, but like nah, the same. Not. Like she's been she's been jaded by life to the point that nah. she's going to become the queen. I think Sansa, I think the whole season. You think Sansa is a good person? I do. I think, well, I think, I think Sansa is a smart person. And I think she knows that having watched Cersei go down, well, she'll find out Cersei's gone down. What she'll find out Daenerys is going to go down. That yeah. ultimately that kind of a, a approach to power ends one way. And I think Sansa ultimately recognized at the beginning of this season that she really understood what it would take to be in power. And she's been the smartest character of the whole season. She's the one who's always known, she's seen around the corner more than anybody else, even Didn't Arya, trust Daenerys. Didn't trust Daenerys, saw around the corner, knew what she was doing when she told Varys, when she told Tyrion, he told Varys. She set the whole thing in motion. She knew exactly what she was doing because yeah, she, she doesn't, she wants power, but I think more than anything, she didn't want Daenerys to be in power. How scared she do you wanted think, to be in the North. How scared do you think are the Game of Thrones producers that Sophie Turner is going to have like four glasses of Cabernet one night and then spill spill the final episode on Instagram what at three that, in the morning. What about that story? That they have to be in constant fear of this. I mean- They must have taken her phone like a week ago. The, yeah, because she's the bossiest boss of all bosses. Like, you mean what? She, she's just literally crushed the internet. I feel like in the last four she's months- She's crushed the internet. She's crushed the internet. She's, she's won Who the internet. She half a glass of Pinot with a jewel in her hand, dabs. And then, I mean, she's just unbelievable, right? <laughs> it's so funny because 20 years ago, we would have been going- What's wrong with Sophie Turner? And there would have been like Us Weekly covers, like Sophie Turner spiraling out of control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it's like, this is great. Keep it up, girl. Keep going, man. You're the best. I mean, she is the best. And I mean, but but people have been saying in any interview that she's been the best from day one, right? I mean, people think she's one of the most well-liked members of the cast from what I can tell. And, you know, the fact that she's kind of come out and she's had the roughest ride. She's had the worst yeah. time. And I think the fact that she's come out in this season and being so sharp and so knowing. I would say Theon had the worst time. I oh, mean, yeah, Theon, did, yeah, Theon had the worst time. Did get his yeah. No, but hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, but hang on. Yeah, that was terrible. And the whole kind of like, I mean, the worst for Theon was the whole like ride to the border only to be met by your, your man, Ramsay. by Ramsay. Yeah, Ramsay's just like, I was just kidding. Come like, on, I'm going to torture you even worse. I hate to do it to you, but this is how it goes down. Like, that was That's like worst. when people are like, Game of Thrones, how they treat women. It's like, what about Theon? Nah, I, I don't Theon, think- Theon's I, treated worse I don't than even anyone think, on the show. I don't even think Theon can compare to Sansa. You think about Sansa, even from a young age, right? Yeah, Sansa, it to was watch, bad. You know, She's I a runner-up. You know, Joffy like put, put her father up on a spike and made her watch, right? Yeah. You know, she. I mean, she went through the worst. I mean, the, her treatment's been her most horrendous, but I just feel like in the last- I told Zoe, if that ever happens with anyone she's dating, that they have to break up. <laughs> if my head ever ends up on a spike, cut it off. I'm just trying to think of like yeah. how deep how deep the rivalry goes between yeah. you and some fellow sports fans and like whether that, or not that's even a potential reality. Like even in the middle, <laughs> even in like the old ages, like the middle ages. Yeah, really I don't think play. it's ever Bill been Simon, that bad. Bill Simmons yeah. just hit on a spike. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, I just feel, I just feel like, uh, I just feel like she's always known where this is going. She's seen 
Everyone yeah. else looks a little slow compared to her this season, even Arya. And watching the way she's Arya suddenly chose sides with Sansa after what happened with Littlefinger, she was like, "Oh, it's pretty clear who's going to run the run the run the road here." And so I think I think Sansa will be the last one standing if there is such a thing. Yeah, Jon Snow is kind of like Joe Biden. He's like, can I just run the north? And people are like, no, no, we need you. And he's, he's had like, the worst season. He's been the most annoying, most kind of useless. Kind of weak. Even in the battle with against the Night King and his army, he just sort of rode around on his dragon, kind of not doing much. And, and he has the same move in every sword fight. And nobody's figured it out No one's yet. figured it they out. Come, they run right at him. He just steps he to the- He chops them down. Does, yeah, it's just like, make a move. Do, yeah. a, do a stutter with step on him. With sort of an him. empathetic look on his face like, don't make me kill you. Right. Don't make me kill you. My father was the most honorable man who ever lived. And he's like five foot five. So like, there's got to be somebody with some size that could use some reach against him. Yeah, I, I, I just refuse to believe he's this good of a sword fighter. Well, I, I, he's just, I think he's been like, he's definitely had the biggest 180 as far as character development goes from like sort of hero to, to sort of half zero. Yeah. It's annoying. He's just annoying. He's even been like, I even felt bad for Daenerys. Like that, that great line in the last episode where she goes, fear it is. Fair enough. It's like, Jesus Christ, I understand it's complicated. This is not good for either of us. This is a very, very awkward situation. Right. And you feel how I feel and I feel how you feel. This is the one shot we got to spend a million people up in, up in that you know, King's Landing. And he's like, I can't do it. My right. father was the most honorable man who ever lived. Settle down, like, dude. like, all right, fear it is. I, you know, Daenerys took a lot of heat this week, which is funny because she's a fake character that these two guys, they're making up all the stories. I don't we know don't if people think, realize We don't sometimes. think that way though right now. But, um... And it was all about now her her turn. It happened too fast. Yeah, but I read a think they piece didn't about build it that. up. People, I, I I read a think piece. I can't remember who wrote it. It might have been New York or Times. <laughs> the level of like journalism is oh coming into this right. It's yeah, it's like the best writing on the internet right now. <laughs> exactly. it's the best conversation. <laughs> exactly. It might have been the former speechwriter for Barack Obama and a guest <laughs> editor. No, anyway, but it's like there was a, there was a theory that was that I agree with, which was like, no, this has been the arc the whole way through. Um, we only really saw the softer side of Daenerys when she fell in love with Jon Snow. Um, even before then, yeah, she was merciful at times, but she would kill people to show mercy. She would absolutely brutally assassinate people and then turn around to people and say, you've got a choice to make. But ultimately, you know, we get back to that, 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 that age old issue of unrequited love. I mean, unrequited love is a, that's a, that's a, that's a brutal one. And, you know, she hasn't, you know, you don't love me back. I mean, what was that great line I saw on social media today? If it, it you know, one way for no one to have Jon Snow is for no one to survive. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I actually think the turn made total sense because all she's been doing this whole time is at some point I'm going to run everything and it's all going great. It's all going great. She gets this piece of information, throws her in complete flux. She's in this different part of the world in the 1300s. I like to think it's in the 1300s. I still haven't worked it out. It's like Springfield. I have no yeah. idea where it is. So. All of a sudden now she's in this different, she's not really clicking with the people there. Mm -hmm. They're gravitating to Jon Snow. She's alone. Cersei kills her right-hand person. Mm -hmm. Jorah dies. She loses a dragon. She mm -hmm. loses one of her kids. Mm -hmm. She's just spiraling out of control. It totally makes sense to me that she's like, ah! Totally. Just burning down everything. I look for this way. I was really sad and shocked watching it happen, but not because I thought it was a character or a plot flaw, but because I was like, Wow, that is the end of innocence. Like that love story is over. Yeah, it ends one way. John, the Starks or the Nerys, it's going to go one way. And so, I, I thought it was one of the best episodes of the entire series. And stakes are me so, too. Stakes are so high Here's right now. Here's the thing: 
I just want to be entertained when I'm watching a television show. That show was fucking awesome. Oh, it's amazing. It was so good. Dude, I, I was mean, riveted the whole time. I thought Arya was going to die. I was on the edge of my seat. Like, it was great. It's you can pick it apart, but fine. Yeah, but-, but uh, Pick and, anything and, apart. Exactly. Jesus, I mean, you know, I'm about to get crucified when this thing goes out. Why? What would you say? Yacht Rock? Your Yacht Rock stuff? I think the Toto Yacht Rock thing might be a little bit over the People line. Like, you don't realize Toto. <laughs> um, quickly before we go, who's the biggest star in the world right now? Uh, wow. Great question. Music star? Yeah. Um, well, pound for pound in terms of sales and what's going on, Ed Sheeran is, you know, in terms of ticket sales and what he's achieving. is That's unbelievable. unbelievable. Ed Sheeran? The biggest star in terms of ability and talent and absolute just complete power is Beyonce still. Yeah. She is still the person who can like raise her, raise her little finger and the whole world just waits with bated breath to see what she's going to do. The, the biggest rap star in the world is Drake, hands down. And and I think he's the biggest, I'm gonna call him the biggest streaming star in the world in terms of the way he uses streaming and how he's utilized it. The biggest global superstar right now is Jay Balvin, who's just unbelievable in terms of his size and numbers. And I think the greatest artist for me, and I'm just gonna go on a limb and say it, no disrespect to anybody else, because I love all of the aforementioned amazing talented musicians, but the one that I feel is like, the, just the one who I just look to and I just, I just wait every time he does anything. Is Frank Ocean? I just wow. personally just absolutely. You got a grunt from Kyle. Kyle, I just love. Is that, is that rare? No, it's, it's, it, when he agrees, sometimes he, he just makes noises. It was, a, it was a good solid grunt. I, I just, you know, and that's not to tr to compare or to sort of put them in any form of order. I've given everyone, in my opinion, some strong kind of positioning. Yeah. Um, but I, I really feel like Frank Ocean for me is just. I just think in terms of the way he he approaches his his craft is 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 phenomenal. In sports, I always do this thing about approval rating. Yeah, you know, like uh, athletes who just have high approval ratings, where just the mo sports are so polarizing. Like if Beyonce was in sports, there would have been stories written after the Netflix documentary. Like actually, it wasn't that good. And right, right, people right, are right. always trying. That's to what I love about sports. It's hard in music to do that. That's yeah. why being a critic, you have to really fall on your sword when you're a critic in music. Because even in film, you can come out there and say that film stank. And most of the actors will agree with you. They got to check. They'll move on and make a great film next. But in music, you can't oh, do that because the fans. But it, the fans come. Like if I if I said right now like Beyonce don't, fucking don't even suck, joke like, don't even joke yeah, don't even I can't joke. even joke don't even, don't even joke about it the Bayhive would come don't flying even joke about yeah it. that would be it she's the goat but that's the only thing this happens in doesn't happen in sports doesn't happen in TV it's movies. kind of sweet it's special I'm kind of bummed and and, I, and at some point you know I would love to I'm inviting myself for round two because I kind of want to talk about sports with you at some point too because I'm a big sports fan and well I think you he earned a return invite right oh, Kyle Kyle had a good time he grunted like seven times I like how Kyle makes the decision so here's my case for Adele go ahead I didn't even mention Adele. That's insane. Okay, nah, look, I, I wasn't going to call you out on no, it. But you it's, did. I mean, it is, no, it is part terrible. of like the, the Zane Lowe uh, repertoire is the love for Adele and you just didn't even mention her. Oh my I, God. Whatever. You guys, listen, people it grow just, apart. It's just, she hasn't, look, I mean, Adele knows how I feel. Adele. People grow apart. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I am so screwed. I still think Adele releasing a new album. Well, she actually is, a, is factually the biggest. If she releases a new album, I'm not even talking about album sales. Just yeah. like her next album yeah. is just going to be a bigger deal than Beyonce's next album. Yeah, look, I think I'm, Beyonce, there's other stuff that goes into what makes her a star. And ultimately with Adele, if a new album comes out that she did and she put time into, I'm so angry. people will be the most excited for it. You notice how I'm putting my glasses on and off. I can't decide whether or not I'm putting them on, putting them off. <laughs> well, like, you're I'm, rattled I'm, right I'm, now. I'm, I'm very mad at this right now. You know, Adele's, I, I, you and Adele now. She is, she is like pound for pound. In terms of record sales and and 
Yeah, she's the. But what other artists? That's a shit question in the first place, Bill. To be Thank fair. you. What other artists could get divorced? Announce they're getting divorced, right? And everybody's immediate reaction is, "I can't wait for the album." Uh, I yeah, can't think of anybody else that that would happen to. It's happened before. I just think. Well, she's the champion of whatever that category is. Yeah. I I just think with Adele, she. Adele has learned how to say no and still be able to, um, you know, reach people in such an honest and thoughtful, beautiful way. A lot of artists who learn to say no, it can sit really badly with people, right? They don't like it when you're not available. But Adele just does it in such a humane and 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 personal way because that's just like this is how I move, right? I don't do much, and when I do it, I put everything into it and I give it to you, and it's my gift to you. And that's why people feel so connected to her beyond the incredible songwriting and the power of her performance in her songs and her writing, is the fact that when she does come back, it's like this is a really genuine gift, like a genuine relationship she has with people. Yeah. But don't think that she's available all the time. And I think that's really, I think that's really, I think that's very normal, and I think it's very, it's very human, and it's a very, it's a very kind of sane thing to do because we all know with social media and the way things are right now, and of course the appetite for a constant sense of of availability and tactility, and people want to touch you all the time. Yeah. I'm here. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm around. I'm having I'm here, lunch. I've just done this. Like I've done this collaboration in a fashion world. I've done this. I've done this, and that's great. When you know, some people want to be 360 creative all the time. But I just like that. You know, Adele's like, no, I do it my way, and I do it my in, in my own pace. And to win on those terms is uh, is kind of the ultimate. She's one of my favorite celebrities in a long time. Yeah, because I like how she's almost like a cat. Like she just kind of jumps on your lap every four months and then is gone. You don't know what happened, and then it's like, hey, I'm back. <laughs> like she did the James Corden, whatever that the, yeah. the car wash thing, killed it, the too. carpool thing. Yeah, and she was so good in that. And yeah. it's and then you watch that and you go, why can't? She, why doesn't she do more stuff? But I'm also glad she does it. Yeah, because she because it's like special. Listen, she does. She it. does what she wants to do. She seems like the best hang out of all the famous people. She she just does what she wants to do. She's always been that human being who just kind of focuses on music and craft and just living her life and doesn't apologize for it. And and I just think like. At its very core, right now, like I said, in a time when there's this expectation of availability all the time, it's kind of nice that someone doesn't want to play that game. Yeah. You know? I think she is the highest approval rating right now, even higher than Beyonce. Yeah. yeah Don't she's you think? the biggest. She's the biggest. Who, right. Who's If somebody, you're at a party and somebody was like, you know, I fucking hate Adele. Oh, I, I think like the whole everyone would just stop talking and stare I don't at the think person. I could be friends with that person well you forgot to mention her five minutes ago but, I love how you walked um, into this you just fucking Zane Lowe anything you want to plug yeah fuck you <laughs> <laughs> that was fun right yeah that was good let's do it again we'll have we'll do a round two at some point this summer alright man All right. thanks, for, thanks for coming on that was great alright thanks so much to Zane Lowe and thanks to Joe House thanks to DaZone don't forget to uh, check out their app. You can get it on just about anywhere you would be able to watch and operate an app. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Don't forget about hashtag Talk to Thrones Sunday night right after Game of Thrones ends. And we'll be back with our old friend, the Cuz, Sunday night. Oh, my God. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, until then, enjoy the weekend.